up only. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, Hello and welcome to Up Only TV, where I have a scratchy voice for some reason. It's a pleasure to have you here. We've got Tom from Dragonfly on the show today. Before we get to it, I want to tell you about our partners at FTX. Go to uponly.tv slash FTX. You can make all the trades that you need there today and do like pretty much anything else you want to do in crypto because they're taking over the world. Uponly.tv slash FTX. Zero trading fees when you swap from one asset to the other on their app, and you can also earn yield on your tokens. That's all with FTX. Thanks to them for being our partners. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Kobe. It's early. It's early. GM. 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 Man, that was your worst advertisement ever. I like that FTX like pay, you know, they're taking over stadiums, taking <clears> over <throat> esports team, and then they pay you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Um, hi, dude, Tom. Hey, pretty well. How you doing? We've got to consult your dying monstera because we did it in private before, and you have to explain yourself because otherwise people are going to think that I don't know. That's that's how you live. Yeah, I, I used to get compliments on this plant, actually, and now <laughs> this is the first insult that I've received. Um, yeah, I, I was I was gone for a couple months, and I asked my landlord to take care of my plants, and uh, she did not do a very good job, so this thing's kind of dying out in the corner over here. Um, but it looks kind of nice. I get comments of, like, this is a fake background, but it's real. I got some, <laughs> some real fake brick and dying plant back there. So Bear market for the plant, but it'll come back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, is this Gauntlet Network... Nike merch. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. These are hard to come by. These are hard to come by. It's a gauntlet dragonfly portfolio company is uh, this. It's actually not like a collab, but they just added like the embroidery above the logo. (laughs) It's you know, it's it's smart. I'm surprised more teams don't don't do it. New partnership with Nike. We bought their shirts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I hung out with Terry the other day and he didn't give me anything like that. So, um, friendship over. Yeah. I, I had to bug them to ship this to Taiwan to me and it cost them like 40 bucks because I was like, I've done so much work for you. Can I just get a fucking hoodie? And so <laughs> I, I got the orange one too, which I was not happy about. But um, yeah, these are coveted. These are, I'm not going to say rarer than Unisocks, but at least at least on par. Wow. Hmm. Are Unisocks still worth uh, like 50 grand? Well, 100 grand, at least. 100? Yeah. yeah. Like 150 uh, maybe. Sorry. I'm fudding Unisocks. Mine's got a hole in them. <laughs> that's, the, no. oh, that's the best flex, though, right? Uh, I don't think it is. Um, all right. So for anyone that's listening on uh, audio only and can't see what we're talking about, we're sorry. We do this on Twitch. Someone messaged me down Twitter and was like, you always talk about the chat when I'm watching it, but I don't know what the chat means. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry. If you don't watch on Twitch, you like miss half the experience. Um, but for everyone that's listening through audio's benefit, Tom, do you want to explain who you are, how you got into crypto, how you ended up here um, on this podcast thingy? Yeah. Um, so my name's Tom Schmidt. I'm a general partner at Dragonfly Capital. We're a crypto venture fund um, that's sort of split between Asia and the U.S., uh, before Dragonfly, I was uh, I used to lead product at Xerox, so I was there for two years. Um, worked on Xerox API and a couple of versions of the protocol, Matcha stuff that people are probably familiar with. 
Uh, before that, uh, I was a PM at Instagram for about three years. Um, so I did the whole Silicon Valley thing and um, sort of got into crypto during school, during undergrad. I like um, was like mining Bitcoin in my dorm room with some friends. Actually, one of them is Ronil Rumberg from Audius. Um, if people are familiar with Audius, so knew him from, from school and, you know, just sort of went from there pretty much. That's super cool. And now you're a uh, dragonfly and like you're on your Twitter, it says investing a dragonfly. What does that mean? What does your day to day look like? What do you actually do? Just that killed houseplants and steal merch. Yeah. 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 This is a big, that's a big now part the of merch it. Has um, been stolen. Yeah. <laughs> it's evolving. I mean, it's really, it's been, you know, our money coming back to us in, in the form of, of, you know, clothing, which is kind of what we do here uh, at dragonfly capital. Um, but no, I was actually just chatting with, with ledger before this about like, you know, venture in the space um, where it's very sort of different style of investing than I think most people are familiar with where we're close-ended funds. So, uh, you know, people give us money and we uh, invest it and sort of have a target return date in mind. But other than that, we're, you know, backing really early stage companies and early stage teams and um, sort of seeing them out to the completion of the company or the completion of the, the project or whenever there's liquidity, maybe, you know, five, six years down the road. So, um, for us, you know, really, I think we'll think about Dragonfly in terms of like investing sort of sort of two things. Um, one is obviously the sort of like East-West focus. So um, we have about half the team in Asia. Um, so I'm currently in Taipei. But we have a lot of the team in Singapore, a lot of the team in China. And we have about half the team in the States. And so for us, I think maybe a Steve gave this spiel and I kind of learned the spiel from him, but I'll just give it again anyway, which is like, you know, if you look at crypto, it's very different from like Web2 where... Uh, you can't just like launch a crypto company and like have it only serve like the San Francisco Bay Area or California or the United States. Well, to, to an extent, you know, it's really about as soon as you launch your global from day one and you think about where kind of the you know, nexuses of crypto activity, it's really Asia, where you still have, you know, the largest exchange volume, you have a lot of the enterprise value. If you look at the IP addresses of people like using DeFi products, a lot of it is coming from Asia. Like DYDX posted that stat that was like 90% of their signups are coming from China. Um, and then I think we look at, you know, a lot of the core tech that's being developed, um, a lot of the great teams that are, you know, working on new products, a lot of that's still coming out of the West, sort of like North America and, and Europe. And so for us, we sort of um, help bridge these two worlds where we help teams that, you know, are thinking about Asia and thinking about going to market Asia, sort of help them, you know, bridge that gap and, and vice versa. Um, so that's a large part of what people sort of know Dragonfly for. But I think the other thing is just like this very, you know, sort of technical and, and, and sort of operator focus where it's like, Everyone on the team has a technical background for the most part. You know, we all worked in the industry before and, you know, some sort of operational capacity. And so, you know, we like to, you know, find teams and find products that are cool and, like, help them take it to market and help them, you know, build something because that's what we've done before and that's what we like to do. Obviously, y'all work remotely and, you know, collaborate remotely because you got people everywhere. How important is it physically being somewhere in order to, like kind of catch a team when they're early um, or like they're developing some crypto stuff or just find talent and they haven't even created the project and you kind of spur them along. Like, is it really important from like getting to the right conferences or meetups or is it just pure proximity, but it stays online? You know? Yeah. I think, you know, early in your career, it's, it's really great to go to um, conferences and hackathons and meetups and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I sort of did, that whole circuit when I was at zero X trying to get people to build on zero X and meeting teams and stuff like that. But I think, you know, 2020 really changed like the venture landscape just in terms of deals are super fast. Now people are okay doing remote funding. Like it feels weird to say now, but you know, in 2019, 
it was hard to raise a you know a large venture round remotely. Like the deal used to be, everybody would fly out to the Bay Area and go you know up and down the peninsula, meeting all the VCs, pitching them in person. Um, you know, when I started Dragonfly, we we're doing in person pitches, and that's just not a thing um, anymore. People aren't you know flying out to physical locations to go and raise funding. They're just doing it virtually, and so you know it sort of dovetails with all the stuff that we talk about around you know, NFTs and identity and, and DAOs and Web3, it's like, yeah, like people are living online and investing is going online. And so um, I think like, you know, your reputation sort of proceeds yourself online. People look at, you know, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Um, you know, uh, like like all that kind of stuff sort of sort of feeds into finding great teams and, and you know, having people sort of, you know, know who you are. So um, it's a very different, I think, system than it, than it was even two years ago, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. And then I spoke to um, uh, Jason from Telegram. I don't know if you know him, but don't dox his real name because people that listen to this only know him as Jason from Telegram. And he said, um, you should talk to Tom. He's by far the best person at Dragonfly. Uh, so like, what is your actual job? That's actually what he said. No, he was like, you should definitely talk to Tom. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, look, we don't do much effort for this podcast. So I just ask other guests, who should the next guest be? We're going to ask you after this. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm happy to help. Um, yeah, I mean, the life of a VC is is a strange one. And it's, I mean, it took me a long time to sort of get used to it. I used to like, you know, shadow Hasib and other folks around and like figure out what you're supposed to do all day. But the, the reality is very free form. Like you can choose your time. You spend your time how you how you want to spend your time. It's very sort of focused on output. Like what are you doing for the fund? Are you doing deals that are doing well? And so for me, like my day to day is, I don't know, maybe 20% deal calls. So you know, I'll get connected to a team. I think the idea is interesting. We'll get on a 30 minute tower call and just sort of ask them questions about themselves, the idea, talk about fundraising, just, you know, like I want to know who you are and what you're working on and, and why you're working on it and, and sort of see how you've thought about it and you know, try out the product, all that kind of good stuff. Um, maybe another 25% is doing portfolio support. So teams that we've already invested in, like, you know, getting on calls with them and helping them around, you know, product, helping them around design, Go to market um, hiring. Um, we just brought on the former head of talent from from ZeroX, um, Zach um, Skelly, who's helping team think about you know how to hire in this market, which is a very aggressive talent market. And so we sort of help all our portfolio companies with that. Um, maybe another I don't know thirty percent just sort of doing basic research, like reading the news, looking at data, all the stuff that you know you guys are doing. Reading Twitter, you know, a lot of stuff is happening on Twitter, and so being you know keeping abreast of, of what's going on is there. And then it, you know it's it sounds very boring, but that's kind of what it is. It's like you know, staying on top of, of what's going on and, and, and finding teams that are working on, you know, great products and, and backing them. So, and how much of your, you know, um, experience doing product, I guess in, I, I was going to say like legacy companies, but they're just companies, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> like Instagram, um, for yeah. example, and then how much of your experience doing product to, uh, zero X, um, have helped you in your role as a VC? Like, do you find mm. you like lean on nothing from Instagram or is it like, yeah. is it still like transferable, I guess? Mm. You know, it was, I mean, that was a big learning curve. I think going from IG to, to zero X was like a lot of it is adaptable. And a lot of it, I think also um, is sort of teaching crypto some basic product practices that I think Silicon Valley is really honed that like crypto is still kind of catching up on. Like I remember, you know, one of the very first things I did when I joined Zero X was I built out like a data pipeline. Like they didn't have any data. There was like one website and I was like, okay, like what are we tracking? What are our KPIs? Like 
what does retention look like? How are you tracking like on volume? Just like all the kind of basic stuff that like, of course, any good PM at any of these big, you know, tech companies can, can recite to you. Like, I don't get the sense that most crypto projects think that deeply about some do, and you can really tell, but a lot just, just don't. Um, and so, um, you know, those kinds of things carry over. Um, but I think there's also just stuff that isn't going to translate, right? Like um, the idea of, of having like a pure conversion funnel. It's like, well, you're not going to, you're often going to have people signing up, right? It's like they're like anonymous Ethereum addresses that show up and use your product. You can't reach out to them and like do you user interviews and sort of all the traditional, you know, Silicon Valley kind of kind of product stuff that you, you get used to. And so you have to get creative when you think about growth and you when you think about um, solving user problems. It's a very different type of, of person that you're building for. And um, I think also just like, the, obviously, the entire like um, token aspect changes how you think about product, which is something I didn't appreciate for for a while. Whereas previously, it was like, well, yeah, yeah, you build something, and the token is kind of like a little bonus. And what we've seen in the past, you know, maybe year and a half, is that like the token can almost be sort of the engine that propels the growth into something even bigger and better. So it's like even the same product, but with different tokenomics, can have totally different outcomes. And so um, I think teams are increasingly thinking deeply about that. Um, and and um, that's an area where I think obviously there's nothing really in in sort of Silicon Valley uh, you know, product experience that's going to prep you for something like that. So I think a lot of teams that we talk to do you know sort of value that, and obviously it depends if you're doing something consumery or if you're doing something more developer focused or or whatever. It really depends on the on the on the team. That makes sense. I like the thing you said about um, tokens being a growth mechanic um, because I think that has happened quite a lot, almost to the point where. Everything that launches now, even if a token doesn't really make sense in the project, yeah. has to really do a token now. Like it went from being yeah. like, are you going to do one to being like, well, you have to, because if Where not, someone's going to fork your code base, they're going to add a token and then they're going to grow 10 times faster than you. Um, so even just a defensive token is required for um, basically any any project launching and and i do think it's true that um the tokenomics of a um of a project can impact the growth of a project because people see tokens as um if if the chart goes up then it's like a sign of trust in a project right like this project seems to be doing well i can trust that i can use that and the uh, large market cap um, projects are seen as the ones that you, uh, I can use that. It's like an advertising tool and a community building tool, I guess. Um, how have you seen like new projects um, that you invest in or you, maybe you wanted to invest in use tokenomics effectively to basically boost K-Factor um, uh, within their audience or community or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing that we look for is like, you know, are you subsidizing the right thing? There's like vanity metrics that you can juice with, with numbers, but ultimately it's like, you know, if you're, if you're spending your money juicing something that doesn't actually impact protocol success, then like, it doesn't matter. Right. The whole point is, is you're supposed to be subsidizing growth and sort of simulating what something looks like at scale when it's not at scale. Um, so that when you are at scale, like everything's just going to work. You slowly wean off the incentives. Um, and so, you know, looking for teams that that do something like that, or you know, sort of the alternative. I think we've we seen is teams that I don't know if this is intentional or not, but basically, you know, use the token almost to um, oh, to rug. No. That was amazing. <laughs> use the token to rug. <laughs> 
Hey! Sorry. I warned you this would happen. I warned you, but uh, I was telling Ledger before the call, like, Google Meet sometimes fucks up, so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I can't remember what you're talking. Use the token Basically, yeah, to... Like, it yeah, it's like a ticket. Yeah, Use yeah, the token to disappear with the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's like a fake it till you make it, right? Like, like if if the token does well, suddenly you have this massive treasury that you can use to actually build a great product. And I would argue that's actually kind of what's happening with like Chainlink and Axie, where it's like Chainlink two years ago was not a great product. It was like a very very naive implementation of what an oracle is supposed to be. The token didn't really make sense. It was like okay, whatever. Um, it's it's an oracle, fine. Um, but it's just sort of memed itself into this status where now it's like, yeah, everyone's just like using Chainlink by default. And now they this massive treasury and they've hired all these great engineers and researchers and they're actually doing really novel kind of like breakthrough work in cryptography and, and in Oracle design. And so it's like, you know, with enough money, you can sort of make something great. And I think Axie is kind of in a similar bit where it's like, you know, Axie Infinity is not a great game. I'm sorry. Like they're a great <laughs> team. Like the community is great. I think it's, it's a really obviously like novel mechanism. The game's not good. But now they have, like, several billion dollars. I think with several billion dollars, you could probably make an amazing game. Um, and I think that is, is, is sort of, like, you know, the thing that you can do with, with tokens where you can sort of um, help the thing grow um, and then eventually sort of, like, backfill yourself with, with something great that is going to be more sustainable and, and longer lasting. So that's one thing that I think is, like, pretty interesting around our tokenomics um, that, that I think we're increasingly we're seeing, as well as sort of the, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, sort of classic, like, Hyper reflexive, hyper recursive, sort of, sort of, um, uh, you know, self-referential tokenomics that we sort of saw in like the early DeFi cycle. But I, I'm still like a kind of a fan of, of the really vanilla stuff, where it's like you build a really simple product that has organic growth, that's sticky, that people really like, and then when you add a token on top of that, like you're, you know, really turbocharging growth. Like the, the problem with a lot of, a lot of these product spaces, sort of the, what we call the classic like leaky bucket problem, where if you don't build a product that is retentive. Um, and sort of your retention chart, your chart eventually goes to zero. It doesn't matter how many people, you know, you put in the top of the funnel because eventually they're all going to leave. Um, and so if you have something that's retentive, you can keep adding new people in and they're going to stick around and your AM is going to go up, up. But if you don't build something that people actually want to use, you know, they're just going to go away when the incentives run out. And so um, with, when you don't have the token turned on, you can sort of, you know, test check that and, and make sure that that's actually what's happening. And then you turn the token on and like, it can just kind of go go crazy. So in my mind, that's kind of what a great token looks like, but you know, every, every project's going to take a different path there. That is actually a very good point. So uh, in the current, what you're saying is in the current crypto markets, there can be a lot of products that are not working, but are basically paying uh, users to use them. So there's a token incentive, pay, they pay for TVL, they pay for users, they pay for volume or whatever. And as soon as those incentives disappear, the users are going to disappear and therefore the implied token valuation may also collapse because it's sort of circular, right? Where they're paying for people. So they've got volume, which justifies a valuation and um, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. But as a retail investor, um, me and Ledger, retail investors, um, as us unsophisticated uh, morons, um, how are we able to tell why, like, which are the projects that have found product market fit and do have, you know, um, a healthy long-term retention uh, chart and like maybe would be working, um, you know, like an open C, I guess they don't, have, they don't have a token. Maybe people are speculating that they will, um, but they have clearly have good retention um, and they're winning as a product versus things that are uh, just currently 
paying to inflate their valuations um, and uh, potentially enrich the team and early investors, <laughs> professional yeah, yeah. investors such as you. <laughs> right. uh, someone actually did a really good analysis on, on Twitter the other day, basically looking at like, like the, basically the cost per like AUM or the like cost per, per like you know, unit of revenue for a bunch of different lending protocols. Um, you like it, like, you know, when comp compound is giving out comp or Ave is giving out Ave, like, you know, like what is the actual incremental, um, uh, you know, revenue that they're generating in return. And I think when you look at all the lending protocols, a lot of them are actually like negative yielding, right? Where it's like, they're paying $5 to get $2 in revenue. And obviously that's not sustainable. Um, to, maybe to your point around like, you know, what does a retail investor do? I, you know, I do think. I'm obviously biased, but like some of the, this like basic diligence, just like, you know, do they have a data dashboard? Like, like what do the numbers actually look like? Do they have a nice, you know, long tail of users or is it like two people dumping a bunch of, you know, uh, money in and just like, you know, farming the shit out of, out of, out of this token. Like AUM can be very, um, uh, or TVL can be very, like a very misleading metrics. Same thing, like people quote TVL on dollar sign or dollar terms, but like if the asset itself is, is uh, not going up denominated in itself, then, of course, it'd be very misleading, right? Like I st stick a bunch of, you know, soul in like a lending protocol and then Solana goes up 5X and people are like, oh, TVL is 5X. Well, it's like, yeah, but it's not like more people aren't using the protocol. It's just like the, the price of the asset has gone up. And so it's like those kinds of things you kind of want to, uh, you know, sniff out before I think you, you take the plunge. But um, it, I think the whole you know, industry is still so, so nascent. People are still trying to figure it out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you got to look, do some due diligence. But I don't think the listener, listeners are going to be happy about that. Yeah, uh, sorry, sorry. People well, keep like talking about this due diligence. Yeah, Kobe, the yeah. chat is uh, surprised by groggy ledger and sober Kobe and the impact that has <laughs> on the show. <laughs> look, it's sober October. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's good, good alongside October, so you can focus. Um, so, Tom, are there like any some baseline things where you think to, that certain token functionality is valuable out of the gate? Like, I've heard people, some people warn against like opening up governance too soon or opening up um, revenue model share stuff too mm. soon, and you know various things that you can do with a token. Do you? prefer seeing people make the token relatively useless up front um, alongside like when to launch, which you already talked about some. I, I really do actually. I mean, I think your know, tokens are really great for progressive decentralization, where if you're doing something that is um, may, maybe a little bit you know, in, a, in a gray area from a regulatory perspective, having a token, having a plan of de path of decentralization can allow you to do things that um, a team that doesn't have that, that path just, just simply can't do. I think if anything, I see a lot of teams using tokens in ways that I just don't like. So like uh, proprietary payment tokens, that was a huge thing in 2017 that I think turned out to be a really bad idea where it's like people want to denominate fees and, and assets in a very common currency like dollars. They don't want to denominate it in your you know random token. Um, things like uh, you using your own token recursively as collateral, like obviously if it's just like pure you know, reflexivity and convexity, right? Like looks really good when the market's going well, and then just like absolutely obliterates you on the way down. Um, I think um, there's, there's, I'm trying to think there was like one other like token model that, that I that I've seen that I just like really really dislike. Um, but yeah, I mean I think I think for the most part it's it's like start with something super minimal. It also just allows you to get it out faster and then back into it over time. And I think um, I, I think I, you know, I chat with the paradigm folks pretty frequently, and I think Dan Dan Robinson is, is in this bucket too, where it's like don't overcomplicate your protocol, don't overcomplicate your tokenomics. 
just do something really simple and you can evolve into something better over time. Um, I think that tends to be, you know, sort of the, the best path. How um, do you in, put in that on a pitch deck though? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, token released functionality, none. <laughs> like so many teams, some of the teams that we, we back is like the whole valueless governance token meme. It is kind of true. Like a lot of times that we back, you know, they, they don't have a token plan or there's no plan to do a token. And, you know, we're not, we're not buying tokens. We're buying equity. And we're like, yeah, if you want to do a token at some point, great. Like we'll take the token, you know, um, I think DYDX for the longest time, you know, was talking about, um, you know, never issuing a token and then no token plans. And finally, when the, the time was right, they, you know, launched their token and obviously it's, it's done quite well, but you know, for, for us really, it's like, can you build something that is retentive, that is solving a problem that people actually want and need? Um, and if you can do that, I think the market will reward you independent of how you sort of, uh, you, you know, it's like, um, if you have, you know, amazing high quality beef, you don't have to do much to it, right? Like you put a little salt on it, a little pepper on it. Like that, that's it. You don't need to like, you know, fuck with the presentation too much. I think it's really when you don't have anything good and you're sort of like building on shit, then you have to like get really fancy with tokenomics and you have to get, you're really, really fancy around uh, a lot of the, the weird mechanics of, of, of the product when you don't, because you don't have anything sort of substantial underneath the hood. And so um, really it's like, if you have something um, um, clean and material, you don't actually need a lot of the, I think, really fancy ways that, that people try to get complicated with their, their tokenomics because the product sort of sort of speaks for itself. Well, um, what are some of the examples of like the, the, the best that you've seen? So like if you were launching a product today, like how would you do the token basically? What do you think the, um, like a, a, a grail project would look like? Um, I mean, I think, um, well, actually, I guess going back to your other point, Ledger, the other thing that I really dislike is, um, teams that are doing uh, revenue to token holders this early. Yeah. Like re- the whole thing, right, with early stage startups is like, um, you're supposed to be unprofitable because you're supposed to be buying growth. Like the thing that you're spending the money on is like, you know, um, uh, c- capital improvements, right? It's like the value of the company goes up, not like giving it back to shareholders. That's what you do when you don't know what else to do with the money. Ideally, you should be, you should know what to do with the money because you're using it to like make your product better and, and grow it. And so um, really, really just like when, when teams do that, I think, Frankly, a lot of these, these treasures are probably just like too big, and they actually don't know um, what uh, uh, what, they're, what they're supposed to do. I think, like you know, beyond that, um, I, I don't know. I think um, you know, one thing I have liked seeing teams more doing more and more is like use the token as, as sort of like a um, liquidity backstop. So I think like you know, Maker sort of pioneered this back in the day, where the token serves a very clean purpose. Right, it's you get revenue. In practice, especially while we go back to the protocol, but it also serves as as a token backstop, right? You have risk and you have reward. Um, a lot of projects they give you a lot of reward, but token holders that don't actually take on any risk, and so it, it sort of you know sort of questions like why the token has to be there if it they just sort of exists to you know suck up all the the value that's being being created if they're not actually contributing anything back to the to the ecosystem or to the protocol. Um, and so I think when I think about you know, what does a great token look like beyond sort of the you know valueless you know, decentralized governance token meme, which I think is, is real. It should be sort of thinking about that, which is like, why do token holders deserve anything? Um, what value are they actually contributing back into the ecosystem um, in order to sort of you know, justify taking some sort of fee or getting some sort of reward? Um, and so teams that sort of implement something like that, I think tend to, in my mind, look, look the best versus just sort of a rake on the, on the, on the entire what is know, it, product. What does it mean for it to be a backstop? I don't, I'm not following oh. in terms of the Yeah, market. yeah. So, so for maker, right, in the event of um, system debt or in the event of bad liquidations, uh, more maker is minted and sold in the market to um, sort of uh, shore up any debt of the, of, the, of the system. And so maker holders basically take on that dilution risk 
um, where if they do a bad job choosing collateral or setting rates and there's bad liquidations or whatever, um, you know, maker, maker shareholders are, or you know, maker token holders are diluted. Um, I think if you have a system that just where you, the, the token holders just get pure revenue and there's no sort of risk to them in the event that like, you know, the system does this poorly. I think there is an open question. It's like, why should they actually get that you know, revenue? Like, 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 why do they deserve that? If they aren't actually taking on any risk, every, you know, equity holder, for example, in any company also takes on risk um, for you know, in the same sort of model. Um, I don't think token holders are really, you know, isolated in that regard. So when there's uh, equity deals, that's what you're doing. Eventually, you want to see positive returns beyond the token. You want to see the value of a company go up. You want to see um, maybe an exit or acquisition, or eventually they may achieve revenue uh, that's profitable. <clears throat> In the Web2 landscape, how I, it took Facebook forever to get to that point, but eventually they became very, very, very profitable. Do you see a similar path where after... 10, 15 years of this, we start to see really profitable crypto companies that um, have this kind of hybrid token model plus equity model that all of it can work? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it really depends on the company. But, you know, when we're talking about equity, it's it's really almost more of as a um, sort of a vehicle to get tokens in the event that if there is a token issuance. So, you know, equity investments are very well understood. They have good investor protections. They're pretty vanilla. Um, you don't have to commit to doing a token or commit to doing a token model up front, which is, which is great. But in the event that there is a token issuance, making sure that, you know, equity shareholders don't get screwed. This happened with some exchanges sort of back from 20, 2016, 2017, where there are a lot of equity investors um, who own, you know, shares in some of these large exchanges, but they didn't get tokens. They don't have token rights. So it can be problematic if you own equity in an exchange that is giving away a large chunk of their you know, revenue to token holders, but you don't own any tokens. And so you're sort of like sitting in the worst of both worlds where you have you know, ownership in this illiquid exchange, right? Because it's not going public anytime soon. Maybe you can trade secondaries, but you know, maybe not, not in size. But you also don't own tokens, which are like getting a lot of the cash flows. And so um, I think you know, when we think about, about doing, doing investments, we are a pure venture fund. We do pure equity investments. We invest in sort of CFI companies like, you know, um, um, consumer finance applications or lending desks or exchanges or whatever. Um, we also invest in um, DeFi projects, uh, sort of pre-product, pre-token. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, uh, invest in them in, in sort of an equity. But it, it's almost more of a like a shell company in the sense that it exists to, uh, you know, help the company incorporate, help them set up a bank account, help them manage finances. But ideally, not ideally, but yeah, at some point if they issue a token, um, making sure that that shareholders are are getting their sort of pro out of share of that that token. Um, so I think like that is sort of the the answer around liquidity. Now to your point, like um, you know, how, what does that actually look like ten years down the road? I do think that a lot of these things are going to look you know, like a mature company at scale, a scale where you have uh, you know sort of dedicated full time team probably being paid through the DAO. Um, Maker has already actually made this gap where um, now all the Maker employees instead of getting you know, employed through the Maker Foundation, they get paid through the DAO directly. I think more and more teams are, are going to go down that route. Um, you're going to have, you know, full governance proposals. You're going to have, um, you know, uh, activist shareholders. Like, it's going to look like how we think, you know, tech companies and, and sort of public companies look today. Um, but, you know, it's all going to be sort of decentralized on-chain. It's very sort of transparent, transparent manner that we've all become accustomed to. Speaking of uh, tokenomics, there's been a bunch of um, airdrop-related drama this week. Yes. Um, 
thanks to thanks to ribbon and oh yeah did my, uh, or whatever i don't remember what they're called ribbon hat right here uh, i got a ribbon hat uh, yeah um, divergence yeah yeah so um for anyone that don't know is it divergence or divergent with a t or a ce mm. i think it's divergence um all don't right quote me we'll on call that. him divergence Div. we might be yeah. wrong um but uh anyone that didn't see um divergence sybil attacked um the ribbon finance airdrop and like somehow found like 10 percent of the circulating supply um or something um dumped it all for eth uh very quickly or <laughs> dumped the majority of uh, uh there was a docs wallet that was connected to an ens that dumped a lot of it for eth um and then in the end, paid gave like everything back. So they gave the ETH, the DAO, they gave all the ribbon that they'd um, farmed in non-connected accounts back. And I think they even gave their seed um, allocation uh, from January uh, back as well. So they're basically neutral on the project. They didn't make no profit, didn't make no financial loss, but maybe took a reputational... Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe took a reputational uppercut, let's say. Um now, uh, I think you, I saw something, a tweet from you maybe earlier today, yesterday, that said you'd farmed a lot of ribbon um, from the vaults uh, prior to uh, the token launch. Um, and like, out of good interest, you just basically sent everything um, back today. Uh, do you want yeah. to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't know where to start. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you sort of covered the whole divergence thing. I mean, I think for me... You know, I, I might just talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, my whole thing was I, I've been using basically Ribbon literally since like the first day that they launched. I've, I've known Julian quite quite really well and actually sort of helped, you know, with the idea generation. I was actually uh, visiting him in, in London and we were grabbing beers and um, I, uh, I was sort of uh, just sort of showing him walking through my phone and um, I was showing him uh, the Matrixport app. Matrixport is another Dragonfly portfolio company. Um, really popular in, in in Asia, and one of the things that they do, which is I found really cool, is basically um, they help people sell you know, and buy structured products, like basically like what, what what Ribbon does, where you can um, sell covered calls, sell covered puts. It's a really popular product for um, mainstream consumers in, in in Asia. It's like sort of like you know Robinhood for them. They'll you know sell these these uh, you know uh, uh, options and generate yield, and I think. Crypto is interesting where, you know, this is obviously a um, potentially somewhat risky strategy if you don't do it correctly. But um, what's interesting about crypto is, is it sort of gets framed as like a you win either way, right? Like it's like a dual currency yield. So normally if you, you know, sell a covered put and it expires in the money, well, like, fuck, like you probably, you know, you lost money, right? Like, like you're, you're, you're basically buying um, this asset probably above where, where market price is. But, you know, in the crypto context, people denominate a lot of their wealth both like you know, in dollars, but also in the asset that they're trying to stack, right? They're trying to like stack Bitcoin, they're trying to stack ETH. So in reality, it's like, oh, if you sold this put and it expires in the money, well, that's cool because you're just like, you know, stacking stats, like you're accumulating Bitcoin, like it's all good. Like, you know, we'll sort of put that over here and, and it's going to go up in the future. Very, very different mentality than like, you know, selling like Apple puts, right? Right? People aren't trying to like stack Apple shares. It's a very different sort of, sort of, you know, asset class and how people think about it. So it's, it's a very cool product that is really well suited um, for crypto, in my opinion. So, so sort of the, the background on, on Ribbon there. All to say, um, yeah, so I've basically been using Ribbon since day one, been putting a lot of my own sort of personal ETH into it and using it just because I like the product. I actually think it's like a, like a really cool, interesting yield opportunity. Been giving a bunch of feedback to like Julian and Ken on, on sort of the, how things were going. 
Um, I've also really active in the Discord. So I think actually like most of the airdrop that I got was for being an active Discord member, which also didn't make sense to me because I'm like, I'm, I'm like your lead investor. I don't think I should be getting like a Discord airdrop. It's almost like sort of you know, by default. And so, yeah, basically I, I saw my own ENS come up in this, uh, the uh, deposit list. And I was like, you know, obviously I've been depositing for a while, um, but I also deposited after this email came out and I was like, well, like, fuck. So actually, basically after the divergence news came out, I hit up Julian and I was like, yo, like I fucked up. Like I deposited, uh, I'm just gonna return the ribbon if that's cool with you. And I think, you know, he obviously knows me and said it was like, you know, not a big deal, but I think it's like doing right by the community, right? Like, like I don't think like that's how these airdrops should be done. Even if it was by mistake, even if it was like with good intent, like that's not really how, you know, in the interest of fairness, I just don't think that's really how this should be, be set up. Even with the discord thing, it's like, you know, I don't think like me as an individual, you know, should be, should be getting like a discord airdrop if I'm like the lead investor. I just like, I, I just don't think that's really how these things should be done. I think um, to your point around like divergence and airdrops though, like, I mean, it's really raised so many different questions, right? Like, are people going to keep doing airdrops in the future? How do you prevent like civil attacks on airdrops? Um, was this like fair play? And that was sort of the other question it was like, well, obviously it's, it's one thing, it's very pretty goofy to, you know, farm a bunch of your portfolio companies tokens and then dump them and then say that you're long-term aligned. But it's another to say, what if you just, you know, farm them and you held them because you really like them. It's like, well, like, sure, maybe you could have like guessed that there was an airdrop, but you also can have that information. But then like the airdrop day was also like, like there's just so many I think, sort of questions around this. And I think that's sort of what people are sort of going through right now is this like, you know, what are we going to do about airdrops in the future? I think um, I actually really like what DYDX did around sort of the, the trade mining where you um, get this airdrop, but you don't get it for free. You basically get an allocation that you unlock by using the, the product. And so it mitigates some of the civil issues, but also sort of, you know, makes people use the product more, which is always, I think, the criticism around the Uniswap airdrop, which was like, yeah, you just spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars granted an amazing press and, you know, amazing goodwill for the community, but like maybe that could have been spent in a better way that maybe would have driven the product and, and driven the, the protocol, you know, usage a little bit more um, beyond just sort of giving it away for free um, to, to everybody. So I don't know, there's, there's sort of a whole, I think, discussion right now around airdrops and like, what are we going to do about these going forward? What's I'd, going to be the best? I'd love forward? to expand on that conversation just because like yeah. our listeners and, and I'll include myself in that. Like I did this a little bit with one inch, another one of your portfolio companies where I was like, okay, Uniswap just did this. I'm going to go do some crap on one inch with a handful of wallets and eventually got an airdrop on several of Legend. them. How could you? I did. And then, you know what? <laughs> like I held it for a little while. And then when I felt like one inch was topping, I sold it, you know, like, mm. but that's what a typical user is going to do. And not, I wasn't an investor. I was just someone seeking uh, profit potential. And then if you feel like there's better long, whatever, you know, the, you know, the deal. Mm. And I am obviously not alone. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people are doing this across the board and even telling people you should do this across the board because this is how teams visualize a potential, you know, more democratic distribution of their portfolio of their tokens. Um, and my, my question is, is it so bad if, uh, you have this kind of more democratic, smaller airdrop, even to people who haven't used it in spades, because the alternative seems to me is like, you essentially make the rich richer. The people that use a lot of volume or like LP an absolute ton, or you're just giving people that don't really need the money, more money rather than kind of making right. these 
fans because you changed their life because you airdropped them like 20% of their portfolio or something. And I wonder if there's some kind of hybrid where it's democratic spread out, but maybe has better prevention of like the, you know, me saying like, okay, well I'm going to do this on a hundred wallets, which I did not do. I was far too lazy. Uh, in hindsight, I should have, (laughs) but you know, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think with the ribbon thing, it was, you know, problematic, I think it was, it was so much like I was pure just sibling, but it's also, you know, sibling potentially using uh, privileged information, but also like, you know, selling the portfolio company uh, asset immediately, which is, which is sort of a bad look. But as an individual, you sort of guessing, it's like, well, you know, maybe it was, it was bad, but it's also kind of on the team to sort of think about how to prevent sibling and, 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 you know, make sure you're doing a unique, you know, airdrop. And so, I think sort of the, the, you know, designs we've seen around that are still kind of nascent. I actually really like what Arkex did with their Know Your Farmer system. And that was sort of a whole thing during DeFi summer for a bit with like the, the DGen score and stuff where they look at your past on-chain activity and be like, okay, has this person traded on, on you know, Uniswap? Have they deposited $100 in the compound? Have they done, you know, $100 in the audit? Like, have, you, have they done these things? And that sort of, you know, makes you look more like a real person. And so certainly you could go out and, uh, you know, generate a thousand addresses that go trade on Uniswap. We have to know, like, you know, what is the amount that they're looking for? It costs you money to go and, like, you know, do that. And so it's not as as free as just like generating a million addresses and, and depositing into the into the, into the protocol. So I, I do think like some system like that of using some sort of on chain reputation. Um, people have talked about using NFTs as well. Um, I think it'd be like really interesting. Um, we're basically using that as almost sort of a proxy for like identity and uniqueness. Um, and then, and then sort of using back, using that to sort of back into some sort of airdrop, um, or, you know, potentially just doing it like, you know, the, the issue obviously being that if you just do it to your point, like uh, proportional to how much volume you're doing, um, uh, you know, how much you're contributing in terms of TVL, uh, then you sort of run into these problems where you get, you know, the large hedgerons of the world showing up and just farming the shit out of your token and dumping it. Um, and that's obviously not, um, you know, a good outcome for, for the team as well. So I don't think there's really a perfectly clean problem solution here. I think teams are experimenting with with different ways to um, get around this. But I think overall the intent, right, is like we want to fairly distribute the token. But I, in my mind, it's sort of like we should be fairly distributing it in service of um, growing the protocol or like making sort of the entire part protocol more successful. There's certainly an element of doing a very small airdrop to, you know, say thank you or something. But I think that the big airdrops that we sort of see in, in my mind are sort of counterproductive or just like, Maybe not counterproductive, but not the best use of, of capital that could be could be spent. The other thing that my, go ahead, Cody. My my main opinion on this, like the difference between you doing it, Ledger, and the difference between Divergence doing it, is um, like when, when teams do an airdrop of some kind, they know that there is air, like area for abuse, right? They know there are vectors um, where people can farm multiple wallets and sell them, and in some cases, that is like just a risk the team has accepted. Sometimes the team just doesn't even think about it. And it is ever since Uniswap has been evident that a lot of these projects are going to uh, distribute their token in this way because it's a decent regulatory strategy to give it away free rather than selling it to people. Um, and therefore, if you know and the team knows and everyone knows, then it's fair game. Like it's a system, everyone knows the rules basically. And if you want to go make 150 wallets and like farm um, tokens and like you manage to guess the um, thresholds right and stuff, 
then you can go do it. I remember seeing one guy made like 300 wallets for one of the airdrops and he got the threshold slightly wrong. So he made 300 useless wallets. It's like, <laughs> that, that's a risk. You can do yeah. that. The difference is when you are an investor, especially a seed investor in a project, you have a contract between the founder and the investor that says, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to give you this money and then I'm going to do whatever I can to help you make your project win. Like founders don't accept investors just for the capital. They, they, in, like add people to their team, right? They would add people to the the DAO or the uh, the project's backing, and they don't just expect this one time payment from them. They want ongoing support to try and help the project be as successful as possible. And farming ten percent of the circulating supply and then selling it on day one, there is no way <laughs> which that is a, like beneficial action for the project. Therefore, the investor has broken the contract between founder and investor. And I think that's why it's bad. Yeah, there was maybe some insider information. They added some money when they got an email saying there was going to be an airdrop, but the criteria wasn't clear. And they'd already been doing this, like this um, Sybil attack anyway. So it was an explicit um, abuse of the airdrop by someone that is contractually, maybe socially contractually obliged to try and make the project win, taking actions that just like only benefits the investor. And I think that's the difference. Like if you want to do it and you're not an investor, you're just exploiting a system which everyone knows the rules to. Um, but I think it is different when you've already been able to buy on extremely favorable terms. You know, you've turned uh, 25K into $10 million or something. Do you really need to dump on your own portfolio company um, and 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 harm that project's success? Right, like not only does it like make the token go down and make the project look like a scam on day one, this can happen. We can talk about it now. We're still talking about it. You've put reputation of everyone at risk. Um, so and that was so- uh, social policing essentially that worked, right? Like in the end, I feel like uh, it. Did like Kobe and I talked about this day of because I didn't really know what was going on. I was at soccer with our kids. He's like, "This is the biggest story of the day," and I was, you know, I said something. And I was like, "Oh, it turns out, you know, this isn't really on ribbon. This was a uh, uh, one of their investors that made some unethical actions." And I think eventually, like Twitter figured that out, people figured that out, and I think ribbon will be fine. And uh, the like, the actual policing of it occurred properly, which is kind of crazy considering there was no real structure. Um, yeah, so it's a really interesting outcome, but now what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you raised all raised good points. Um, I think really the big thing was just sort of, sort of selling. I do think also, you know, potentially trading or taking actions on you know, insider information, also a really bad look. It's, you know, maybe not explicitly illegal yet, but I certainly think we should be you know, holding ourselves to that high standard if we want to like self-regulate as an industry. Um, and, you know, independent of what that, that actually looks like. So, um, yeah, I will sort of see, be seeing fallout from this for a bit, but, um, I mean, I think huge props to Julian and Ken and the entire ribbon team. Like they, I think really handle this, like, like pros and do a great job with communication and, and sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, general sort of fallout from it. So I'm obviously still super bullish on ribbon. I think I've been very, very public about, you know, how much I love ribbon and, uh, and using it and everything. And so. I think they have a lot of cool, cool stuff in the pipeline. I agree with you, by the way, on the structured products and like this idea of essentially selling puts and being assigned whatever asset you're you're selling puts for. If those levels hit, that's a a really interesting way to just buy the dip or like dollar cost average back in and something like that. And 
this is one of those products that I'll probably want to use myself. And structured products are uh, really, really big in traditional markets. Like, uh, yeah, really, really yeah. big. So it's definitely a, I don't want them to be like disincentivized to continue on. Um, I have one additional question about kind of the earning airdrops side of things, um, which is to date, I think we've really seen kind of a, you qualify once and then you don't have to do anything else to get like the full value of an airdrop. And then there's like liquidity farming type stuff that's mostly valuable to people that have a lot of money to, to liquidity farm with. Is there an in-between where people can kind of do a hybrid where it's more like maybe an Axie style play to earn? And it's like, here's the max potential value of your airdrop up to a thousand things. But like you have only gotten badge number one by, mm. you know, interacting with our protocol one time. Here's how the path towards like full achievement of this. That's basically what DYDX did, wasn't it? But they unlocked it all at once, right? Like it wasn't a continuation. Um, no, you had, had like so, loads of actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the, the problem with like doing pure trade mining, right, is it's sort of like Fcoin, if you remember this, this back in the day, um, which is like this Chinese exchange. And basically they had the system where they just basically you, they were basically paying you to trade. So the coin subsidy was so much higher than the actual fees that you were just getting people to to wash trade. And so if you don't dial in the like token pricing correctly, like you sort of get that pure sort of like wash trading phenomenon, which actually I was using helpful. Um, with UIDX, yeah, you get this this bounty. It's allocated for you to your to your point ledger. It's like, hey, you know, you used this in the past. Cool, you can earn up to you know a thousand or ten thousand or hundred thousand tokens. But to do that, you need to hit these trading milestones. And so it sort of encourages usage of the of the, of the product. Um, but you don't just sort of you know get it for free. Um, I think that's sort of like per address sort of like usage capping, I think is, is pretty smart. Like, I, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but um, Arkex has also been doing this as well, where it's like, um, yeah, you can deposit, you know, up to $2 million per address in our, you know, lending protocol. And the address sort of gets gated by um, if you've used, you know, uh, different types of DeFi products in the past. So for every address that is traded $1,000 on Uniswap, you can deposit, you know, a million dollars or $2 million or something like that. And so it's sort of pseudo civil resistant where it's like, most people don't have a zillion addresses like that lying around, especially after some certain you know date threshold. Um, but it also sort of scales up usage where not everybody gets the same airdrop. You have to sort of help the protocol grow in order to actually you know, get access to that. So it's a really interesting design space. I don't think anyone's really like nailed it yet, but uh, I'm curious to see what where, where folks take it. Part of me thinks like these issues are going to help uh, evolve that system to in in the end be better. Totally. I, I don't know if if crypto people are ever going to go are, are ever going to like find a full KY system KYC system like palatable um, like you know the idea that every address on chain is going to be you know fully doxed somewhere doesn't really seem like a like a likelihood but I think some sort of you know um, uh, pseudo KYC system or I've seen teams working on like probabilistic KYC or like a semi private version of that seems like kind of the way forward where you get a lot of the properties of having some sort of real identity, but not in a way that um, sort of violates your, your privacy or, or, you know, violates your ability to, to use these, these, these projects. I'd love to know what would happen if feds just did FedCoin airdrop and depending on how much gas you've spent, they just give you like 10x in dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder how many people sign up and go, fuck it. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> I'll, I'll claim I, I that. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think people do people do crazy shit for airdrops. You know, it's like, yeah, fuck it, free money. You know, why not? Um, I, I bet 100 would. 
I mean, I'm, I'm most certain they would. Like, that's, yeah. it's probably <laughs> it's probably significantly cheaper too on a per user basis uh, in order to like relative to enforcement dollars that you may spend. Yeah, opt in. Yeah. All right, let's move on before Ledger starts talking about tax. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was an opening for him. We're not letting close, him have it. Close it out. Um, so you um, you said you hung out with Julian and you um, you were like talking about these kind of products when you uh, went to meet him in London. Um, what's what are the sort of trends you're looking at now um, for the next sort of six months? Like, what are we going to be talking about in six months? Someone's rubbed an airdrop and <laughs> you were buying it now. <laughs> what is it? What are the what are the narratives you're interested in now? And how do you think the next sort of uh, eighteen months going to look? I mean, I'm still very bullish on structured products. I'm actually like writing a blog post right now for, for Dragonfly research on sort of how this whole whole space is evolving. Um, another Dragonfly port code in this in this same space is uh, Lemma. Um, I think it's Lemma.money or Lemma.finance. I can't, I can't remember. Um, but basically, what they're doing is um, sort of a tokenized version of the cash and carry trade. So basically, uh, you know, um, hold ETH spot, short ETH perps, and you basically just collect the filing rate in a, in a delta neutral way. And so you know, with this, you can earn, you know, 40, 50% a year um, just on, on funding rate. So it's super common, super, super popular for, you know, past few years on like, you know, Bitcoin perps exchanges, but they're doing it in DeFi. So they're shorting DeFi perps, which obviously are now a thing. They were not a thing six months ago. Um, and then sort of managing this all for you, but with the sort of broader vision of moving out of sort of this, this sort of yield generating per stable coin into like basically a DeFi prime brokerage. So, we will like cross margin you across all the different, you know, derivatives platforms out there that are going to be somewhat fragmented when you think about all the sort of L2s and, and different, different types of chains that are, that are, these things are going to be built on and eventually extend your credit as well, right? Like I can see that you have a position worth, you know, this amount of money on DYDX and you want to open a position on perp um, or derivatex that has, you know, this, this kind of, kind of, you know, shape to it. Cool. Like we can just sort of, you know, grant you that, that, that credit immediately because we know that, you have this this other asset that we're holding on to you for um, holding, holding on to for you um, on DYDX, and so I think like that seems like a very obvious next step. Like if you look at how you know, crypto or how DeFi sort of evolved, it's gone from people building sort of these individual protocols to some sort of aggregation layer, as you sort of saw with, with like spot dexes. This is sort of the same concept, but just applying it to perpetuals, which takes sort of a different architecture and a different approach. So. That sounds cool. Ledger, this sounds like something you'd like. I Cash do. and carry, 5% APY. That sounds that sounds like straight like, up in Boomerville. I was like <laughs> highlighting it on the stream like, ooh, 48%. <laughs> uh, yeah, this yeah, looks nice. Sorry. I actually saw this mentioned yeah, yeah. for the first time earlier today, so I'm assuming this is a VC cabal move to get Lima in the spot. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? I, I, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, saw Kyle, I, I, I saw Kyle respond to somebody that was like, when... Uh, when decentralized perps aggregators and Kyle was like, "You mean Lima?" and now Tom's like, "You mean Lima?" Uh, it's a secret chat somewhere. Look, get the wallets going. Let's get the wallets going. (laughs) If you're in chat, 200 wallets, let's go. We'll be millionaires. Yeah, Shooter Crypto McGavern highlighted a chat. We really want to see it. So you heard it here, boys. Next huge airdrop is, he said, lemon. So he's not going to make it. Sorry, Shooter. Yeah, going back to to food coins, dual 2020. Yeah, throwback. I could could do it for that. Um, So yeah, I think structured products, I'm going to keep seeing more of that. I think derivatives overall, like, it's still so early, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. Like, you know, DYDX just launched. Purpose is about to launch a V2. Derivative X has not come out yet. Like, 
I think it's going to blow up sort of the same way we saw, you know, spot dexes blow up like a, a year ago. So pretty excited for that. Um, I think like Dow tooling is still kind of, kind of growing. Like we're seeing that where people are still using a lot of the same old tools we were using two years ago when it comes to managing Dow treasuries. Like if a nose is safe with like six people on it, um, surely there's like better, something better out there now that like we actually have real money at risk, which was not the case two years ago. Um, Dow's doing things that are very complex, which is also not the case two years ago. Um, and so like, I, I think when, when I think about um, where that space is going, these, the software that's going to be built is going to look, you know, much more like a, like a, like a, like a workday or like a Bloomberg, but for DAOs that, that exist today that are, that are managing financial, you know, complex financial applications and the things that go along with that. So like one of the things that's come out of, coming out of this, you know, ridden um, um, situation is now they have a bunch of ETH in the DAO and there's a vote right now of like, what should we do with it? And should we, you know, uh, use it to buy back RBN? Should we like LP Uniswap with it so we can own some like, the treasury can own some liquidity shares? Like really interesting question. I think treasury management is like, is really unsolved in, the, in that whole, whole DAO space where people right now just have their entire treasury in their own token, which again has this sort of, you know, huge convexity problem to it where, when the market goes down, when you really need the money, like you don't have the money. And so um, that whole space, I've seen a lot of teams sort of start to build and, and start to grow. But um, I think that will be like really hot, you know, for the next year or so. Again, it's, it's sort of like providing the tooling, providing the, the platform for DAOs, which are also just increasingly becoming more important, not even just in the DeFi space, but obviously for, for NFTs, um, we're seeing stuff like, you know, party bid, right? Like, um, you know, building sort of just in time DAOs to, to bid on, um uh, to bid on and fractionalize NFTs, um, or even like, you know, um, NFT managed out. So like, Hey, if we all own this NFT, we should also have a treasury together to sort of help, you know, promote it, to help do cool stuff with the IP, um, to help, you know, build things on top of it. Um, so instead of individual token holders, you know, sort of voting pro rata, it's, um, all the different NFT holders sort of, sort of voting on, on how to allocate treasury funds. So I think DAOs are extremely popular. I'm not, or extremely powerful. I'm not going to like do a whole like web three spiel, but I think like, the actual tooling that that powers them is still like really kind of um, immature, and I think it, it deserves a lot more attention and a lot more um, uh, love than, than what it currently has. DAO infrastructure is very immature. Do you remember not long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, when there was that big Uniswap proposal and people were voting yes and it was voting no because the no button said yes or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You clicked yeah. yes and actually voted no in the background, and someone was like, "I'm confused yeah. about this." <laughs> That's yes. how early yes. it is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, I think Uniswap is a great example. They have so much money, but I think most people, you know, the critique would give, Hey, like they're not spending as effectively. And so like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like the reverse problem of 20, 20, 2017, 2018, where it's like, now there's like almost too much money and people don't know how to spend it. You know, frankly, so they just give out like random liquidity mining programs or random airdrops. And I think, um, you know, it, it can seem fine as first and you feel like you're, you're doing something, but ultimately you know, you do want to be strategic and thoughtful about how you're spending your very limited you know, resources on, on, on these protocols. I'm now picturing Hayden as like that guy in front of the fire, wiping his tears with his dollar bills, you know, <laughs> just with his treasury, you know, swap treasury dollars. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess got, 10 bills he, has, is, he has got creative with the treasury. They've yeah. treasury hopped it a few times and now they're launching an exchange and investing it in their exchange or something. Very clever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe a good example, right? Like, I they actually maybe a good counterexample that they have like tons of money and never even you know, really bothered to build the core product, but it doesn't matter because you they have good treasury management and so they can just sort of keep going and, and keep you know trying new stuff out. So that's the uh, that's the lesson. Another issue I've seen with governance is essentially like puppet governance from a 
decentralization perspective. So I saw this mm. one yesterday or some of this project was like 100% of participants have voted that we should put our ETH to use <laughs> from the treasury and do something with it. Um, or like people are begging community users, like community token holders to, you know, stake their stuff and, and vote with it to participate in governance. And uh, I've seen arguments for like why you should actually force that or there's some kind of penalty. Um, do you have any ideas for how to incentivize governance? Do you think it's the right path uh, and, and what might could be done there? I mean, I think like in, in reality, probably what will end up happening is, is just more you know, continued delegation. That's like what happens in you know, corporate governance. I don't think it makes sense to have pure direct democracy and sort of force people who have full-time jobs and aren't really paying attention to sort of blindly vote on very complex topics. And so I think what we're seeing is, you know, um, the build out of more delegation systems, we're seeing VC funds bring on, you know, full-time busy protocol managers. So like Andreessen just hired Alex Kroger. We actually just hired a researcher who's going to be focused on, on um, uh, protocol governance for us. And I think like that's part of where your value add comes in as a, as a VC is like, can you actually, um, help steer this thing that you own, you know, some material percentage of, can you actually propose, you know, improvements to the protocol or you're just going to like rubber stamp everything. And I think um, like, I don't think it makes sense to have every single person vote on every single protocol and instead have, you know, experts and have, have them be sort of, you know, fluidly delegated to um, as, as token holders see fit. Um, obviously the issue there is still around concentration, which I think has been some of the flack that, you know, someone like Andreessen has gotten around, you know, del- holding a large amount of tokens and then delegating to university clubs. But I think that that's almost more of a function of, of the fundraising system, not so much of the um, uh, governance system per se. Yeah. I do like the delegation idea because I can say, look, you're going to make smarter decisions than me. It's kind of like the Republic version of governance. Um, yeah. And what I don't like about it is like you said, if, if everybody delegates to one, it's highly decent it's not it's not decentralized at all it's highly centralized from a decision making perspective um i wonder if maybe you can do some kind of like max delegation rule set or something so that nobody has more than 10 percent of a vote or whatever but it it seems like there's definitely some challenges with with delegation if everybody delegates yeah. to the same groups um but overall yeah. Yeah. i like that because i'm not paying attention to these protocols but i do want to earn the rewards or whatever that you get from delegating yeah i also like what um Gauntlet actually is uh, Gauntlet's doing around um, automated governance. Um, so you know they've just received grants from from Compound and, and I believe Ave is coming up to basically automate um, the proposals and automate a lot of the sort of you know, smaller uh, variables that are being tweaked in these governance proposals. So instead of saying, "Hey, like we think you know we want to move the collateralization ratio for you know this um, um, asset to X from Y, or we want to set the interest rate from A to B," it's like, well let's just like delegate that entire system to a, you know, um, um, operator. And then this sort of, sort of, you know, agent system will actually go out and, um, you know, make those changes on, on governance behalf. So it's like, which also kind of makes sense, right? Like in corporate governance, you would not say, Hey, let's like, you know, adjust the, the price of our sandwiches by like five cents today, or like, let's go tweak, you know, the, the type of loan that we're getting. It's like, no, let's go like hire somebody who's a, you know, financial planner, like our CFO, and they're going to go out and actually like manage all this this for us. And so, in some ways, it's it's a bit similar where it's like it's delegation of the function as opposed to delegation of the actual um, um, you know governance process. I like that. Um, 
I'd love to chat a little bit about um, how you see uh, like the scaling wars, I guess. So how you see the future mm. of um, Ethereum? Uh, is it going to be everything on um, Arbitrum or Optimism? Are we going to wait till Matter Labs ships ZK Sync or ZK Porter or whatever they're calling it? They rename it every week, don't they? Just <laughs> yeah, a new name yeah. now. It's, can't yeah. keep up. It's always got ZK in it, which is the bad bit. Yeah. <laughs> like if it was called Sync, that's cool. If it was called Porter, that's also cool. But the ZK mm-hmm. bit makes it shit. Kobe, um, Kobe will but, receive your uh, your branding invoice uh, to what's your yeah, ENS? Yeah. Send, yeah. him, send him 100 ETH for that quick idea. Just get rid of the ZK part. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the new Justin Timberlake in the matrix in the in the Matrix in the Facebook movie. Um, mm. But do you think, yeah, is everything going to move onto a layer two or is the like bridging experience of jumping over to um, like Solana or to um, Avalanche or like whatever the new trendy chain is? Apparently it's now secret. Is that, I don't know if that's even yeah, a layer yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> secret, everyone's yeah, saying yeah. that. But, it's a layer so one. best shill ever because you can just say, oh, I can't tell you it's a secret. And then you're <laughs> shilling at the same time. Um I don't own no secret, but I see everyone just made like 10x on it in a day or something. So I'm salty about secret. I don't know what it does. Um, but yeah, how do you see that playing out? Like, is it, which way is it going to go? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I probably like um, see even probably like some other folks at, at Dragonfly and, you know, sort of a mini, you know, ZK Roll maximalist where I think really the issue is sort of around the developer ergonomics of, of building on a ZK Roll up right now where you have to develop in. Uh, you know, some sort of proprietary, you know, circuit construction language. Um, they don't have sort of full EVM or WASM compatibility, but those are very rapidly coming. Um, I think StarkNet just announced that they're doing like their, you know, alpha in the, in the next, you know, month or so. Um, and they're working on um, like, was it like Warp or something like that? It's going to do like um, EVM to Cairo transpiling. So it's like, we're, we're getting there, right? It's not an unsolvable problem, like the scaling trilemma. It's just like, okay, how do we make it easier for developers to actually like deploy their code on, uh, a ZK Realm. And I think we've shown that over time, we've designed ways to make it easier for developers to, developers to build, right? Like, you know, JavaScript, like, you know, the, one of the shittiest languages of all time, but it sort of built this, like, you know, moat around it. And now we're like, oh, well, now we know how to build, like, actually really nice languages, like, you know, TypeScript or whatever. And we know how to build great, you know, developer environments that allow you to actually, you know, compile down to JavaScript doesn't, doesn't actually matter, uh, but you can have a great developer experience even on top of something that's that's not great. And so I think, that's probably the path that we'll see with 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 sort of that L2, in, in my opinion. I do, I do think there's still a question around, like, are there going to be, is there going to be room for, you know, sort of specialized um, uh, blockchains, right? Like, um, that's sort of the argument that that someone would make around Flow, where it's like, well, you know, is, is Flow really the best at, you know, one particular element? Probably not. But it does, like, does it, you know, really matter? Well, also maybe not, right? Because they have this entire moat around the entire like Dapper Labs uh, brand and all the IP that, they, that they're working with. And so it's like, well, maybe for them, they don't actually need all the um, security and like performance and, you know, uh, uh, you know improvements of a ZK rollup because it's still going to be more expensive than just like rolling your own, you know, uh, you know POS chain. Um, so it's like, I think that's sort of what we saw with like the BSC and Polygon rise over the, over the, the past year, I guess, what was it, over the winter, where it's like, yeah, I think for, for some applications, for some purpose, even something like a ZK Rollup isn't going to get cheap enough. Um, and I think that's kind of where something like a, you know, Solana or some of these other, you know, competitive L1s make sense, where it's like, you know, even maybe at peak performance, these things aren't going to be cheap enough to support, uh, you know, the cheapest of cheapest of NFTs and transactions that people want to support. And so maybe there will be room for these sort of like specialized, um, um, 
uh, you know, blockchains that actually like um, are designed for sort of this like super dirt cheap data storage, you know, throughput type stuff that will almost, you know, maybe never hit, hit the correct scale that, that an L2 will need to, um, to, to support in terms of the cost. What uh, about L3? Can't we roll up a roll up like Russian dolls you, you, of scaling? You can actually. So like that's what um, <laughs> M- Mina is doing is they're doing recursive snarks, right? So it's like a proof of a proof. And so it's like, yeah, you, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think maybe we'll get there someday. But um, I think there's it's still a bit ways out in terms of like getting that to be you know, performance ready and have that be like a great uh, uh, you know, developer experience. Too. This is what the movie Inception was about. It was a yeah. warning. Don't go too yeah, many yeah, rollups yeah. deep because then you're stuck there forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why does uh, why does something like Flow need to be a blockchain and not a database? Because um, it seems highly that, centralized right now. That is a very good question. Um, I you know I think there's there's aspirations to decentralize stuff over time, and I think that's sort of what we've seen with a lot of these these projects where it's like yeah to start there's you know maybe the core team is running a lot of the nodes and maybe it's not that you know, decentralized, but over time, you know, by building it as a, as a blockchain, you leave the room open to actually go out and make this thing, you know, potentially decentralized. Um, whereas if you actually build it as a, you know, pure database, there's, there's never that potential path forward. And so I actually don't know what the, uh, Dapper, Dapper Labs team is, is, is thinking, but I have to imagine they have that aspiration. I know there are a couple of teams, you know, building on flow because they want to sort of get access to the Dapper ecosystem. But if you if you never sort of make that that shot, then you know you're, you're always going to be stuck in, in, in database mode. Um, but you're right that maybe at the moment it could just be um, you know a database and, and sort of you might be wanting to save yourself the trouble. And aren't there some like whole ecosystems that that's what they do? Is that where Cosmos comes in or something where it's like you build your kind of app specific blockchain and you get some of these yeah. elements of you can I don't know decentralize your individual network, but it's designed purely for like essentially one app. Ledger, yeah. I've got to say, so, I do love that you host a crypto podcast and you're like, like operating on the absolute boundaries of your knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> like if you ask the question to go beyond that, you'd be like, yeah, no, no idea. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I, that was, that was, that was very good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Cosmos SDK is like pretty sick, right? Like it's like, yeah, you can roll your own blockchain pretty quickly, pretty inexpensively as a you know, individual developer and like. You get a lot, of, a lot of nice properties with it, which previously was like not really possible. And then if you implement IBC, you also get all the cool, you know, bridge stuff. And the Cosmos bridge experience is amazing. So yeah, there's certainly an argument to be made that like, hey, maybe the specialized blockchain future that we're going to be in is going to be one of just you know Cosmos SDK blockchains, and um, everyone's going to have you know uh, Disney's going to have their own Cosmos blockchain, and like Activision's going to have their own Cosmos blockchain. Wait, they like, got Dragon Chain. Do they need a Cosmos blockchain? That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and they got the was that that the audio codec, the twenty million dollar audio codec. So yeah, yeah they're, they're, uh, set, they're good right? to go. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. No, I think um, I do think I do think it would probably be a heterogeneous uh, crypt like blockchain future. Um, it's just kind of unclear what, what path it's going to take right now. But overall, for as far as Ethereum stuff goes, uh, pretty bullish on 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 zk rollups and um, uh, it just you, you know it, it's like it's a it's a tractable problem. It's not like we're trying to you know do some some crazy far out thing where we don't even know if it's 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 possible. It's more just like yeah, we need the time, we need to put the engineering effort in to to make this stuff you know easier for for developers. Um, since Ledger said that, asked the bombshell of like, shouldn't Flow be a database? I want to <laughs> ask um, questions like that. You know, the questions where you're like, mm, yeah, 
does make the industry look kind of like shambolic if you ask the question, but um, I'll do it anyway, whatever. Uh, do you think that L2s should have tokens? Mm. Yeah. So you're bullish I mean, on think... ZK Roach, right? But like, there's a bullish yeah. as, as a scaling solution for Ethereum. Should they have like value capture in their own token, though? Well, I think the, the question with, with some of these rollup solutions is just like, how do you decentralize, right? Like, if there's a single operator that is, um, you know, actually putting the call data on chain or doing the proofs, like, what happens if they go down? Or what happens if they um, censor transactions? So that maybe they can't, you know, perform malicious state transitions, but they could just, you know, block your tr- transactions and say, I want to take, you know, Kobe's, uh, you know, trades or whatever. And so I, I do think there's, a, there's room for decentralization for all these things. It's kind of unclear how that's going to happen. But in my mind, it's probably going to be reliant on some sort of token, right? That's how we've always sort of sort of done a progressive decentralization approach is like, yeah, you get some sort of pro rata share in um, how this thing reaches consensus through you know governance or through through a little blockchain consensus based on how many tokens you have. And I think for the, these rollups, I imagine the tokens will do something similar where it's going to be, um, hey, you get to be... Uh, a prover or you get to do you get to vote on the prover or you get to do something around um sort of making this thing more resilient and more robust over time um and i think to sort of our earlier discussion like it's probably going to have you make this thing you know more more fork defensible right like if you don't issue a token somebody's going to come out with a rollup or with an l2 that is going to have a token and so it's, it's almost sort of like a prisoner's dilemma where you kind of have to issue it to uh, you know, turbocharge your 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 solution. Otherwise, somebody else is going to go ahead and do it. Bear market is going to. Do you really think they're all going to take an extra fee on top? Um, probably not. I certainly hope not. Um, right. It, it's sort of goes back to also what we're talking about around economics, where it's like, um, at least for, the, for right now, it's it's so it's so early that like you really should be taking that revenue that you'd be getting it and like putting it back in the ecosystem. Maybe there's an argument to be made that the fees go back to pay like an ecosystem fund or something like that as opposed to like just going back to pure token holders. But ultimately somebody is running these servers, somebody is compensating developers, like somebody has to get paid. It is a question of who's gonna pay it. And maybe it's just inflation for token holders, um, maybe it's fees from people who are transacting. Um, maybe the L1s, you know, pay the L2s, right? Like that's also maybe a crazy possibility. Like I I, I think um uh there will be some sort of fee involved at some point, but unclear what shape that takes and and who's going to pay it kobe can i ask yeah. another one that's just as stupid <laughs> <laughs> it was not a, not a dumb question uh are independent like roll-ups is that basically the same general design idea where like a zk roll-up has kind of its own design rolls back to ethereum is that basically the exact same thing as the cosmos whatever parachain app specific chain is that the same thing like are we going to see a, a zk rollup implementation that's just for this one application or most of these rollup designs trying to be like app agnostic well the zk rollups that we have right now um are app specific right so like um they're not generalized evm compatible you have to write in for Starkware, for example you have to write in cairo and um you know they're, they're they're designed to do the thing for their specific application so it's like yeah it's a um, ZK rollup for trading on an AMM or it's a ZK rollup for trading on this per text or whatever. But really the holy grail, right, is you want co-location. You want me, you want to be able to go from, uh, you know, lending out your assets in a money market to trading on a spot dex to buying an NFT. And you want to be able to do that without having to like, 
you know, go back to L1, go to a new L2, or like maybe, you know, swap across different L2s. Like you want to be able to do that sort of sort of co-located. And from a developer experience, you know, part of why we also saw this whole like, you know, BSC Polygon explosion um, um, over the past you know, few months was because they're EVM compatible, right? And that's why Phantom is, is big now. And that's why Avalanche is big now is because developers can just pick up their code you know, deploy on these new chains. If you're a user, you get your MetaMask, switch over the RPC to like this new endpoint. It's all really, really simple. It doesn't take any you know, additional overhead. Um, and I think we've seen is like, you know, EVM is is that is like the JavaScript of, of crypto development where it's like not great. It's arguably very, very bad in a sense, but it has this gigantic moat around the developer tooling and ergonomics that are, that are built around it, as well as like the developer experience and, or the, the user experience that's being built around it as well. And so, like, really what you want is you want that, that pure EVM compatibility so you don't have to go out and have these sort of, you know, um, um, specialized chains, which, again, require developers to go out and, and write new code, um, sort of limit the possibility of co-location. Um, you want it to almost feel like using Ethereum, but it's super fast, super cheap, like all, all those sort of, um, you know, things that are, people are striving for in these other, you know, L1s right now. Hasib seems to talk a lot about layer ones and being bullish on layer ones. And you're talking a lot about rollups and layer two stuff. I'm not sure if that's because we asked you about it or maybe hopefully y'all like disagree. And then you have to figure out how do we allocate our portfolio? Uh, Kobe's asked us a lot of people like, how do you resolve conflict or disagreements Mm -hmm. uh, about philosophical solutions or technical solutions or whatever? Do y'all disagree on scalability, and how do you resolve conflict within the within the firm? I, I think we, we actually have a pretty similar view. I think we mostly just talk about L two because it's like more interesting, right? Than like talking about Ethereum. No, no offense, Ethereum's great, but it's like you know, I I feel like for this this crowd, it's, it's maybe less interesting. But I think maybe the space where we disagree is just around like the viability of some of these other layer ones. And I think that's frankly a space that I still haven't fully formed. Like I think we have seen that. Um, so I think Solana has actually sort of taken me by surprise to an extent around like just the amount of excitement and developer activity that's going on there. We just backed um, Solend really, really like a tier team. Um, I've, I've known the engineers for a while um, building on Solana um, or uh, Phantom. I know the Xerox guys building a really awesome wallet on Solana. And so I think like, that's sort of the problem that pretty much every other non-EVM blockchain has faced, which is like um, getting that developer talent sort of almost like it, it's sort of like you need to overcome that initial activation energy where you have some sort of like minimum viable group of devs and users who are like excited about what you're, you're building. Um, and pretty much every other blockchain that isn't EVM compatible has, has sort of failed to get over that hump. And it seems like Solana has sort of, sort of gotten over that hump. And now we'll sort of see what happens, right? Like uh, there is some sort of mini ecosystem, like something sort of happening um, the rest sort of depends on like the market reception to, you know, whatever gets built and, um, uh, you know, the, the user reaction to it. I think the, the thing that I do worry about with some of these other chains is that are trying to be sort of generalized, not just sort of like, you know, it's like if you're going to use flow, using flow to buy top shots, or using flow to buy like Disney NFTs, you're not, you're not, you don't care that much about the flow ethos and the flow community. And you're not going to like flow meetups. My, my question is kind of like for these other communities, um, you know, what is their ethos? Like, what do they care about in a bear market? Wh- what are they going to be doing? I, you know, was going to, you know, Ethereum hackathons and ETH meetups and stuff in, in 2018, 2019. And the people there, you know, really just gave a shit about Ethereum. They think it's cool. And they were just building because it's fun. They weren't building there to like make money. And I think I, I think it's, it's, it's fine for people to be, you know, financially motivated. I think it's actually very healthy. I do wonder though, like when that sort of dries up, what do a lot of these communities look like? And, um, you know, what's going to sort of be the driving force? And I think, 
that is something that I think both Bitcoin and Ethereum have had going for them forever, which is like this sort of religion or sort of a sense of you know greater purpose to what people are doing um, and the, build, the idea of just like building for the sake of, of building or some sort of um, ideology as opposed to, hey, how do we like make money and like, you know, uh, flip, flip food coins or whatever. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it, when chains are EVM compatible, and this is why I think Solana is an interesting example. You said it took you by surprise. When chains are EVM compatible, that like boot coin or whatever you said, <laughs> did you say boot coin? I said, I said food like, coin. Food. Oh, right. Food. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. like shortening bootleg coin because it's just like a bootleg oh, version yeah. of like <laughs> Arv or whatever. Um, but when they're EVM compatible, you get so many copy paste projects, right? Where you have yeah. like a relatively competent developer who goes, all right, I can port that over here pretty easily, um, launch token, make 100 million, and I can do it again, and I can do it again. Right. Um, and the, these ecosystems, it means they grow very quickly because there's a lot of like source code they can basically take and, and use. Um, but it also potentially, and not necessarily, but potentially means that the um, the teams are less sticky. They're just there because there was an opportunity rather than they were like, holy shit, I've been really, really wanting to build an avalanche since I followed Emin since he was at wherever he was, Con, yeah, yeah, Conhole yeah. University or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember where he was. Um, oh, but um, uh, on Solana, everything's sort of novel in it. It's not like... <clears throat> Maybe the products aren't novel. Maybe the implementations are not even novel. But you've got to do quite a lot of new work in order yeah. to make the project uh, work or, or come to life. Um, and it might make it a little bit more sticky. And Solana have done a lot of um, uh, developer outreach with all their like various hackathons that I've been invited to uh, judge every time. And I don't think I've ever judged one. <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked at any of the projects. <laughs> I always say, yeah, I'll judge it. And then they put my on the site and then it's over. I'm like, did I do something or not? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but they have done a lot of work there to make um, those things sticky. So I think it's yeah. a really interesting thing to pay attention to, especially in like a prolonged bear market, because those are the ecosystems that are much more likely to come alive next time around, where if you paid attention to what was happening on Ethereum through 2018, 19, um, and early 2020, you could see that there was so much stuff happening um, uh, there already, and um, then, you, then you got to enjoy DeFi, DeFi summer and um, yeah, all the early DeFi stuff, I guess. Um, yeah, how do you um, does Dragonfly take many positions in NFTs or nothing? Uh, I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to comment. Um, we oh, do wait, that's what thing he said. That's what he said. Yeah, all right. You're not allowed to say. All right, you got the. Well, they're complex. I, I will say we, we we own some NFTs as a fund. I'll say that, uh, but I can't go to you know a ton of ton of detail on it. What about projects? You can't say which ones they are. I'm not. I'm not going to. I, I could maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, but, fine, that's fine. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to know anyway because I hate NFTs. They're all rubbish, and you're going to say something I don't own. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, as a firm. Outside of like buying specific entities, do you take uh, like the the shovels um, type thesis where you're like you investing stuff around the borders of NFTs as well? And or do you think it is superior to buy the culture? I guess. Chat saying oh, you bought I... your all in dick butts. By the way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, big dick butts holders over here at uh, <laughs> Dragonfly, and we love uh, was it my little Uzi and uh, whatever the fuck the other all, all the random NFTs that are on uh, Twitter this week. Yeah, I mean, I I think like one thing that I've I've learned um, 
doing, you know, venture is like, um, oftentimes you have this debate, like, oh, do you do platform or do you go vertical? Like, do you make this, this bet or do you make this bet? And so often the answer is do both. Um, I think I kind of, you know, learned this lesson and kind of fucked up um, in like, when I first joined, um, we did uh, the one inch seed round, which ended up being a great investment for us. And, and at the same time, we we're also debating doing the Uniswap A. And, you know, I'd known uh, Hayden just because it was, you know, Dex life and, you know, talking about the round. And I think the seed sort of went into the, you know, our issues with sort of the metrics and, and what, was, what was going on. And, and it's like, well, you know, maybe you could do this well, maybe you could do this well. Like, in reality, the answer was like, just do both. And I think previously I was very, very in love with this aggregation thesis. I think one inch is obviously still crushing it. Matcha is still doing, doing really well. And Zero Extent the is, is, is doing really well being an aggregator. But in reality, it's like, yeah, actually like aggregators did really well and Uniswap did really well. And so it's like for, for the picks and shovels thing, yeah, it's a very boring answer, but it's like, yeah, we invest in, in platforms and NFT tooling and NFT fractionalization, but we also want to own, you know, NFTs themselves. I think the problem is like very few NFTs, I would say, are like investment grade where there's like sufficient liquidity to actually like move size for you know, a fund of our size. Um, and we feel comfortable underwriting them and holding them for like five years. There's so many NFTs are like really flash in the pan. Um, and just the amount of, of investment that you're going to be able to do is not material enough um, or to sort of also justify the, the lack of liquidity that you're that you're taking on. So I think that's sort of the, the answer in NFTs. It's just like, there's not enough that I'm actually super excited about, especially for, for Dragonfly, where it's like, you know, if we're doing it, you know, these investments, like we want to be putting at least a million dollars to work. Um, and I think not many sort of NFTs fit that, that sort of, um, you know, uh, liquidity profile and, and investment profile. That makes sense. I um, was supposed to buy the one inch round and I think I went on holiday or something and came back and didn't send them no money. Fucking fully rugged myself. I actually did the exact so same thing on Ribbon. Fun to say, the second time you've done this same thing on, Same thing on Ribbon. So I, um, I was like, Ribbon seems really cool. I spoke to Julian um, a bit like, uh, and then just forgot to send the money. I need an yeah. assistant or something. Led right. you busy? <laughs> I've, I've begged. I've begged for access to the magic Kobe spreadsheets of uh, <laughs> GigaBrain ideas that are in your inbox. Um, so you talked about aggregators. So I got to ask, why won't zero X go up? Why, like, why zero yeah. X just? It's like always a dollar. It's like been a dollar yeah. for like four years. So why won't was, that number was, go up? I was telling Steve I was worried you were going to ask me about this on the show. And in fact, here we are. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, you know, Xerox has executed really well on their roadmap, right? Like, um, metrics look really great. Numbers look great. I think Xerox API integrated, getting integrated into a bunch of different projects. And so you have this sort of like, you know, evergreen volume versus like being dependent on one single product. You have, you know, anytime someone's doing a trade on like Zapper or Zarian, or like DeFi Saver, like, you're doing that trade through Xerox API. So I think that they've done a really good job in terms of just building out the product. The question is, of course, around the token, as we sort of you know, discussed earlier, like there can often be this disconnect between like product traction and 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 you know token price in, in sort of both directions. My my personal two cents around on the token is like um, you know, if, if you if you think people care about revenue, and I would argue that they often look at um, you know, revenue instead of looking at, at, you know, volumes or looking at, you know, other, other types of metrics. I think the, the issue with ZRX as a, as a token is that it's focused on, um, like basically gas, which is like a function of number of, of, of trades and like network conditions versus like, um, volume, right? 
Um, so zero X when they get a fee, it's it's structured as a gas rebate for basically the maker, um, which isn't doesn't really scale proportionally to the value of the trade. So if you know I'm doing a, a multi million dollar trade, or if I'm doing a thousand dollar trade, that maker refund is 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 the same. And I think if you look at like what successful exchange tokens look like, um, if you want to model zero X as an exchange token, almost they get they. They get they, they scale with the amount of U.S. dollar volume that an exchange is doing. So um, you get generally some cut of fees or some cut of revenue or or some way basically to get um, access to um, company revenues as the company sort of scales up. And I think that in my mind is sort of the the issue with Xerox right now, which is like it's structured as a maker rebate, which is awesome for getting liquidity, um, and it's it sort of made lower, really lowered the barrier to entry for market makers to come on to zero X. The problem is that for all the volume that gets righted through you know, a lot of these other protocols and just the, the, the dollar volume of, of uh, the dollar value of volume that they're doing these days. Most of that does, does not sort of get reflected um, in some sort of token holder value. So I think there's also just issues around reworking the token, right? Like it's a very sensitive topic. I think most teams, you know, are, are very sensitive around reworking tokens. So it's, it's hard to sort of say, go ahead and yeah, just charge like a, you know, 25 bit fee and send it back to token holders. I think that would, uh, you know, probably put up a, a bullseye on their back from a regular's perspective, but I think they've done a really good job just around iterating on the product um, with what they currently have. And I think like working the token, even in its current form from where it came out in 2017, if you remember, it was just a, like a governance plus payment token, um, which was, you know, obviously they're very different, but I give, I give Will and Amir tons of credit in being extremely early on, on so many things. I think governance and the sort of governance token meme, like people forget that was like, that was like almost like a joke in like 2017, right? It was like, um, oh, like you're not using tokens for fees or you're not like staking your token like governance. Like why would anyone care about governance? And now it's like all the tokens are governance tokens. <laughs> yeah. um, Will Will and Amir was like super, super early on that. Or NFTs. I very vividly remember this. Like our, our team was actually very involved in like forming ERC721. Um, I actually own ERC721.org and I sort of like helped build it for the hackathon back in the day. And, you know, we were like the first trading protocol to support ERC721 even before um, Wyvern. And, I just remember Will being like, yeah, NFTs are going to be really fucking big. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we have to support them. And they're going to be big someday. And, you know, Xerox was the first support your know, NFTs. And, and um, you know, we were, had a couple of different NFT platforms building on, on top of us back in the day. And um, I think I, I would not be surprised to see that sort of sort of get revived with sort of this you know, NFT renaissance that we're, that we're seeing. But um, I, I think, you know, oftentimes they have a, a vision and, and, a, and a view that eventually comes to, to manifest and you just like, don't, don't appreciate it at the time. And so I'm sure they're, they're cooking up something, you know, crazy that we will only sort of like see, see the full, full intent of like, you know, two or two, three years from now. So ZRX will still be $1. It's like more yes. stable than as, Yeah. As it was intended. This is, this is uh, the vision. Well, you were also early to stable coins. It's just <laughs> another, yeah, yeah, yeah. another innovation. Um, I, I, I do think it is like in crypto, um, the general audience rewards you if your token goes up, right? That's how they say your project's been a success. Um, if, if they got rich on your token by doing nothing, um, that, that's sort of like general, uh, generally seen as a metric of success. And I guess what you're saying about Chainlink, right? Chainlink went up a lot while the product was um, in very early stages and um, that bought them a, a treasury to build a much better product. Um, but I much prefer when a product is doing um, really well and the token is kind of like meh. Um, you know, I think Curve is maybe another example of this oh, yeah. where it's like, mm. like 
I use Curve quite a lot. Um, I know like tons of people use Curve. It's got, you know, billions of dollars in it um, and decent volume. And token just goes sideways as well. Um, but I think, I think often that um, like those cases are much more interesting than the opposite where like the tokens going fucking crazy and you're like, but no yeah. one seems to use this thing. It's got like 12,000 users. Why is it going? So, look, Cause there's nothing you can do about that. Right. You can't like, you can't, there's nothing you can learn from that um, situation. You can't like take an action on it. You can't short it because it's going to just remain irrational. Um, or they'll have so much money that they're able to build a product that matches their valuation later. Um, yeah. Whereas you can pay much closer attention to those uh, projects that have product market fit and do not have their tokenomics worked out correctly yet. And as we were saying, like basically at the beginning of the call, if you've got product market fit without paying those incentives well, you have another tool that you can apply to supercharge growth later. Um, yeah, changing tokenomics is often... Um, uh, uh, not a subject people like like to touch on, but um, it is something to watch out for. I think on a lot of those uh, a lot of those projects. I feel like a gold yeah. bug right now. Market is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just gold keep holding for another ten years. <laughs> yeah, it'll pay out. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, we we talk about this a lot. Where it's like it often just comes down to like style of of investment. We see a lot of projects, and we're like, yeah, like this token's probably going to do well, but this product sucks. These, these metrics look like shit. Like I'm, I would never back this, but it's like, I, I fucking know that the token's going to go up. Um, and it's like, you can make money doing that, but you can also make money just like backing great teams and build, that are building great products and, you know, have them figure out the tokenomics at, at, at some point. And it's like, I, I know how to do that. And I much, would much rather do that. I find it much more like, you know, re- rewarding, but you can certainly do do it both ways um and so you have to sort of you know be cognizant of, of what you're actually doing when you're, when you're doing an investment yeah that makes sense the the, the other one you just like when you get rugged you're like yeah well i did realize that could happen the project does <laughs> yeah, suck yeah. and the team does suck and i why well, well, i thought the token might go up though <laughs> you know, the only person yeah. to blame is yourself um, yeah. So yeah. one thing that we haven't spoken about much, and honestly, often we don't talk about much on Up Only, and I'm trying to talk about it more because I don't want to miss out on anything. And I use this platform as my research <laughs> now instead of doing any reading. Um, are you doing any projects on Bitcoin? Are you backing anything on Bitcoin? Is DeFi on Bitcoin a meme? Is Stacks real? Do you, does anyone use Liquid? Yeah. I heard it, it all down. seems to be. It, liquid was down for a bit. That's right. That's right. I'm very unfortunate. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no. um, you know, uh, generally speaking, I would say no. Um, I have not really seen many great developer teams building on Bitcoin or any of the products that are coming out are generally not super inspiring. But in the interest of looking at the metrics and looking at the data, one thing I've been, I was very skeptical of for a long time and I've been, been impressed by is like Lightning Network. If you look at like the Lightning Network um, um, state, uh, you know, channel capacity, it's going crazy. Um, and, it, you know, it's not a metric that is like easy to fake. There's clearly something going on there. And so um, I think like independent of your, your previous theses or notions around like Lightning Network, and, and certainly I was like very skeptical that people want to like spend Bitcoin on like buying lattes and shit, but apparently they do. Like clearly something, something real is happening there. So... Um, I think we're very open to doing you know, lightning, network, lightning network based investments, um, and it seems to be like um, you know a real potential you know, path forward for for Bitcoin in terms of um, you know, get building a developer platform, which has always been you know missing from the space. 
Yeah, for a while, Lightning Network was had that TVL thing we discussed earlier where everyone was like, look at the TVL, it's going crazy. Look at the capacity. And it's like, that's just the Bitcoin price going up. Yes. And recently, yeah. recently, it started to um, move pretty heavily. And it's nice as well because you know it's not incentivized. There's no like Lightning token that we can give out to everyone. Or they've got the best kept secret, uh, the best kept secret airdrop ever. And Lightning Inside is a Sybil attacking it right now. <laughs> that's what's going on. Um, but I do think it's cool because um, it is unincentivized. It's just like people that use it because they love Bitcoin or need to use it, which I think is cool. Mm. Can I use my yeah. third of three allowable stupid questions in one episode? Mate, uh, you've got infinite. We can use as many as you want. That's the yeah, purpose of this podcast. We've got to ask the questions yeah. that the people want to hear. That's right. <laughs> Kobe just called every single one of y'all an idiot too. Um, Once again. <laughs> um, is, there, is there really capacity within the lightning network or on top of lightning or whatever on top of bitcoin to actually do compute stuff or is it all just send and receive payments is it like there is there that is the smart contract smart contractability a realistic thing within lightning or on lightning i mean in theory you could do like arbitrary state transitions and, and arbitrary compute i don't really know what that looks like today but in theory it is possible i don't think anything that would exist right now would be you know, on the level of, of like a true Turing complete, you know, uh, VM like Ethereum, but you could probably build cool applications and maybe some, you know, replicate some of the functionality of some of the stuff that people like on Ethereum. Like if you just want to build like a simple DEX for doing like stables to, to, you know, Bitcoin, um, you could probably do that today. Um, but honestly, I'm not super, super deep on, um, you know, the latest of the lightning network and sort of these, you know, Bitcoin side chains or merge mine side chains. And why do you think the Bitcoin community is the only sort of crypto community that is focused on doing like real world payment channel integration stuff instead of creating, I was going to say Ponzi's, I was going to say, <laughs> he's done it again, the performance art part two. All right, we're right. wrong Sorry way around. Oh no, he's that like on the right side. Um, uh, yeah, I was just saying, why do you think um, that uh, Bitcoin is the only like crypto community focusing on doing like real world payment channel stuff. Mm. Whereas everyone else seems to be focused on making Ponzi's or bridges to other Ponzi's or containers for Ponzi's within Ponzi's Russian dolls of Ponzi's. Um, yeah. 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 Good, good, good question. I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I think, you know, Terra actually comes to mind as like an example of, of pushing sort of like real world POS payments, right? Like, uh, you know, pushing UST super hard through through Chai and, and Korea. But yeah, no, I mean, I think one answer could simply be that like, that's kind of what they have. Like there aren't, you know, crazy Ponzi scheme you know, mechanics on Bitcoin, even more, uh, even as much as, you know, you could say Bitcoin is, is a Ponzi scheme. Like there's, there's, there's nothing really besides payments. And so like, let's make payments really fucking great and like um, make them super cheap and like, you know, make them really, really, really uh, accessible. So I think to an extent, it's like, you're sort of playing to your strengths and that's what they're, they're able to do. Um, I am curious to see like if a true, you know, true complete VM type um, um, uh, system gets traction um, on like a Bitcoin sidechain or something like that. Um, it could be potentially interesting, but I think for the most part right now, you, you know, with a lot of the bridge solution that we're seeing to um, Ethereum or our, you know, Cosmos uh, uh, you know, blockchains as well, it's kind of like splitting hairs between looking at a Bitcoin merge mine chain and just saying, well, if we have a really good bridge to Ethereum um, or you know, Cosmos or Avalanche or whatever, well, you can just use your Bitcoin there and like it's still cheap and it's still secure. And it's like, why do you need actually like to have this thing be 
um, you know, uh, secured by the Bitcoin uh, chain when you'd have it be secured by something that is, you know, just as good and cheap and, and equally secure. So it's like, I, I think that's sort of the, um, the counterpoint that has come up in the past few years, which is like, now there's actually a competitive good ecosystem um, to Bitcoin um, in terms of just like providing that sort of, sort of, uh, you know, core uh, compute functionality that, that people want to, um, you know, use their assets for. That makes sense. Um, I want to ask uh, what's also interesting. I'd love to see if, if that EVM style, you know, fully Turing complete sidechain did exist on Bitcoin, whether the Bitcoin ecosystem would continue to shun uh, founders getting reward capture through tokenization. Because mm. Bitcoin seems to have this ethos that um, you should just build on Bitcoin. There should be no value capture for founders. Everything's like should be sort of similar to Satoshi's, um, you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, immaculate conception. Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not even just a fair launch. It was like this thing that cannot even be reproduced now because you can't right. do that again because there's so much attention um, and so much money in the space that people would figure out a way to become, to, to Sybil attack it or whatever. Um, uh, so um, they have that sort of anti-token, anti-NFT, anti, you know, um, whatever, um, mindset and i wonder if that would continue and it's interesting either way right it's interesting if it does continue because um then building anything is basically building a public good or something Mm. um and it's also interesting if it doesn't continue because then it's just like a form of tribalism and seeing what community how communities change um so it's cool but um i'd love to ask about um working at vc and um I imagine there's a bunch of people watching who do um, basically what you say. They read Twitter. They do a bunch of research to research projects um, and figure out what they think is going to be good, blah, blah, blah. Um, But they have another job. Um, And I imagine there's a bunch of people that want to work in crypto too. If you wanted to be working in crypto, would you recommend the VC route? Would you recommend working for a product like you did um, first? Um, And how would you go about, I guess, uh, getting the opportunity to do either? Yeah. I think um, it's a great time to be a founder, I will say. I think the fundraising environment is is super competitive. And if you want to go do something, I think there's, there's probably capital out there to help you do it if you're, you're qualified to go to go build something. Um, I think the other cool thing that, that's cool about crypto is just like it is super flat. And you get people from all walks of life. There isn't that sort of gatekeeping effect that I think you even see in traditional tech companies. So. You know, when we're looking at candidates, you know, when I was looking at candidates at Zero X, it was like, you know, are you passionate about the space? Do you actually are you doing your own research? Are you do you are you familiar with how these things work? Like, there's no reason not to be if you're actually passionate about it. On um, the same way, you know, if I'm passionate about a CRM company, sure, like maybe I can know how the product works, but I can't really know all the inner guts of the company and, and sort of the, their entire product roadmap and their metrics and like all that kind of stuff because it's all. Um, private and then maybe I'm just not, not I, I can't get access to it um, with crypto it's like all this stuff is out in, in public and it's all open source and so you know really you sort of like make your own destiny when it comes to your career um, there's no one stopping you from going out and building something great and in fact many of the great products are built by totally anonymous founders it's really just sort of almost like a pure measure of your your skill and, and interest and so um, I think it's a great still a great time to be to be joining crypto I think like I've actually had so many of my friends who are you know Silicon Valley founders or worked at uh, Fangs who are trying to figure out how to get into crypto, hit me up and, and ask for advice. Um, I think 
if you want to start a company, it's sort of a big endeavor and it's a big commitment, but it is a great time to be doing it. And I think there's, there, again, there's plenty of funding out there if you're, if you're interested in doing that. But I also think that there's a lot to be learned if you join a company. There's still a lot of upside to be gained by, by doing that. I think I'm actually really glad I joined ZeroX and had almost a chance to sort of learn the ropes a bit um, alongside the team um, and, and sort of get more familiar with the crypto ecosystem before I sort of, you know, branched out and joined, joined Dragonfly. But um, I, I think, like, overall, like, the, the point being that I think the space is such, like, so much more exciting and intellectually interesting than anything else that's going on in traditional tech, tech space that, like, I think, you know, you always be like foolish to go and like go join, you know, Facebook or Google today compared to going and joining a DAO or going and joining a DeFi project or an NFT uh, project. It's just like in my mind, so so much clear, so much more clearly the future than than anything else that, that, that that's going on in the space. Yeah, speaking ill of your old employer there, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Um, very very you know fashionable these days, but it is it's also <laughs> yeah. weird to see how. Uh, I mean, the company's changed so much. Like when I was at IG, it was like 500 people. And now it's just like, I don't know, like 10,000 people. It's just yeah. very, very, very different. So uh, kind of a weird time to be at one of those companies. Do you still hold your Facebook stock? That's not a fair question, is it? I'm not <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm uh, yeah, putting up some price targets for FB right now, looking at some nice uh, <laughs> resistance levels. Yeah, we should get into general sort of stock day trading you know, channel. That would be, that'd be good. <laughs> Uh, uh, do you do much directional trading on crypto stuff yourself, or are you just like waste of time? Not really. I'm not good at it, and um, it's not you know. I personally don't find it super interesting, but I do you know occasionally you know play around on my PA if I buy an NFT or an interesting project. Um, you know, I think that's like pretty kosher, and I think that's also like what gives us our edge at, at, at Dragonfly is like we are we use all this stuff and we think think it's interesting, and we go and we you know, go do yield farms and we go, you know, buy NFTs and join DAOs and like something that I think traditional VCs don't know how to do or can't do. Um, and it's like, you know, kind of why people want to go and, and talk to us or other crypto VCs that are sort of in this, in the same boat. So, um, I think like, um, you know, um, just using these, these products definitely gives you a different perspective on the, the landscape versus like, you know, reading about it in the block or reading about it on Twitter. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. What are you going to say, Ledger? You got a puzzled look on your face, mate. No, it's, I don't know. Kind of a comment, but to your point earlier, talking about where we are in terms of uh, crypto within the broader world, people have kind of figured out. They know what like Facebook and Instagram, social networks, the tech space. They kind of know what it is now, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it took a long time to really get there. For I worked in the web starting in 2011 full time. And at the time, like, still, it was still kind of weird for people. Um, I feel like in crypto, people don't know what any of this stuff is yet. Like, none of it. Yes. They hardly know what Bitcoin is. They definitely don't know what Ethereum is, maybe beyond the name. They've heard of Bitcoin. They've heard of, like, Doge. Uh, but they have no real idea about crypto other than there's a lot of money in the ecosystem. And do you think there's, like, is there, like, a resolution that needs to occur there where, like, people need to become more aware of crypto or, like, maybe the money is just too much and you need, like, some kind of five-year protracted bear market or something to, like, help things normalize and, you know, kind of mm. meet in the middle? Yeah, I think that was actually one of the things that I also got wrong when I started doing um, investing, which was, like, I, mean, I very much had this view that um, the way crypto goes mainstream is through these, like, really nice, safe applications that that sort of abstracted all the weird complexities of, of crypto right like 
you you're using Coinbase or Schwab even or whatever, and it's like, um, yeah, we're putting your money into Compound and or we're, we're giving you three percent, and you don't care because most people don't care about that kind of you know implementation detail of of your savings account or something like that. But in reality, what we've seen is like the, the projects that have done really well are the ones that actually sort of expose those rock guts. Like you have people on like TikTok talking about getting MetaMask, and like setting it up and like going to OpenSea, and like buying NFTs. Like that's insane to me. I never would have thought that would that, that happen, that people would be willing to jump through all these hoops um, to get access to these, these products. And so it doesn't mean that I certainly agree. Some of this is probably being fueled by speculation and some of the, the you know, returns and numbers that we're seeing. I think a lot of it also just fueled by a broader appeal of of sort of the, the crypto ethos, where it's like, yeah, people actually do want to like, you know, self custody stuff, and they want to like poke and, and play around with this stuff, and they they aren't afraid of like. Um, I think a lot of the, the guts the same way I sort of conceived it that it that it would be in it. I don't think there's not a market for um, sort of this really safe, abstracted out crypto experience that you maybe make, might, might get through like a um, you know lending application, but I do think there's maybe a bigger market for crypto native stuff that that then uh, you know, I previously thought there was. We got a question in the chat asking how Taiwan's crypto scene is and if it's uh, founder friendly. It's actually great. Um, the Taiwanese government has sort of almost inadvertently become very crypto friendly. Like, I don't think they really understand what's going on. So they're just like, yes, it's all it's all great. Um, so sort of, you know, de facto, very good. But, uh, you know, Taipei, it's a smallish city, but it actually has a pretty solid scene. So, like, um, Perpetual Protocol is out here. Cream Protocol is out here. Um, I'm trying to think who else. XY Finance is out here. Um, I'm, like, totally, like, Fudu Combo. And then a bunch of teams have offices out here. So, like, I am Token, Binance. Um, it's actually, like, it's pretty solid for the, for the size of the city. And, and it's all, like, really tight-knit, really high-quality folks. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of popping as sort of a competitor to... Singapore in terms of like, you know, Asia, Asia crypto hub. Are there any other places like worldwide where you think founders should look or um, are like, I don't know, friendly or safe towards mm. crypto companies? Um, and then, yeah. I mean, most folks I know in Asia are moving to Singapore right now. It just seems to be kind of the place to go with respect to being very founder friendly and accessible and, and kind of a nice place to live. I think in the, in the States, I was actually surprised by the sort of New York scene um, when I was back in the States over the summer, like I lived in the Bay for, for 10 years and you know, 2017 to 2019 SF was really where I was at for crypto. Like you just had all, a lot of the artist DeFi projects there and a lot of the you know, Coinbase was there. And like SF was obviously tech capital, but it was also still crypto capital. And I think that is really not the case anymore. It's increasingly decentralized. Like when we fund teams, we're not funding teams in the Bay area. We're funding them we're spread all across the world. There's founders in you know Europe. They have engineers in the States. They have a designer in Asia. Like it, it is kind of a meme, but it is very true that these teams are just extremely geographically um, um, spread out. But it's also, I think, um, just spread out to other nexuses. Like I think um, New York has done extremely well in terms of attracting talent. Ironically, because it's actually from from a, from a regulatory perspective, a very scary place to be. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, like London has a great scene. Um, it seems like um, Lisbon is sort of sort of emerging. Berlin, like I, I think you can really be anywhere now. And it sort of goes back to my my earlier comment around funding, which is like the, the days of having everybody fly out to the Bay and be based in the Bay is are just kind of over. Like that's not how funding works. That's not how talent recruit and it works anymore. People are hiring out of their discords. They're hiring out of their GitHub's. Um, it's it's just a different uh, you know it's a new world. 
Do we have any more questions in the chat? Um, someone said, is Dragonfly investing into gaming? We are. We're doing a few gaming investments. Um, I don't think any are public right now, but you will certainly see me talking about them on, on Twitter um, in the near future. I think um, I'm a big gamer. Um, that's actually how I met Julian. Is uh, We played Dota together um, uh, back in the day. He was extremely good, so he was always you know, carrying my ass. But um, I'm, always, I'm always looking to see like more great gaming investments, but in my mind, sort of stuff that is gaming, gaming focused, so like stands alone on its own. So like, um, I think actually like dark forest in my mind is like one of the coolest products that's out right now, where it's like a true crypto native game that is like fun and sort of uniquely enabled by, uh, yeah, by, by smart contracts versus like, Oh, it's some like random bullshit game. And we're going to put the items on a blockchain. And so you guys can like flip them and trade them to each other. I think that's just like not, not, not super interesting. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I think that makes sense. I think um, it seems inevitable that that will happen, but mm. you would imagine the best games come from the best game producers <laughs> rather than like a crypto native, like, here are our items for sale. Yeah. Then we're going yes. to build a game. <laughs> it's like, right. <laughs> Here's a JPEG yeah, okay. with a list of items for sale. It's not even like <laughs> yeah. the artwork. It's just... Here's a- yeah, a lot of those games remind me of like those like flash game sites back from like the you know mid two thousands where like you play them during school when you were like you know, bored and there's like trash graphics and like super slow bad animations like terrible game mechanics that was like what you had available and like people people are doing that now but then it's like on top of Ethereum so people are like you know, really really jazzed about the the games when it's like the game just kind of kind of sucks. <laughs> uh. Someone said, "What is your fave Dota character? Are they called characters in Dota. Uh, they're called, called heroes, champions actually. in League. Yeah, huh? I know. You guys, heroes. Uh, you guys, heroes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like who I who I usually play. Uh, play Shadow Shaman on support. Um, I feel like who else I've, I've played Juggernaut. Kind of depends on what the latest you know meta is like. You know, who are people are picking? So." This means absolutely nothing to me. Don't even know what does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I play League. It looks exactly the same. I still don't know what you're about. There's a there's a big crypto Dota community. Uh, I know Fred from Paradigm is also super into Dota. That was actually that was that was where Fred met Will. It was that like the 2016 Dota International? Um, Will Will Wern from uh, from Zero X. So very very small world. Nice. Yeah, those names are also a little bit cringe. I play League of Legends, they got better names. Um, but the game is equally cringe, I think. I played Magic the um, yeah. for the first time the other night. Like the actual... Is that a video physical, game? The physical card game, like the nerd game. You know, mm-hmm. I, I figured it was a good way to get smart because uh, Sam Trabuco is like, he and, and, and SBF, like that was their favorite thing. Like, this is the ultimate game. So I was like, all right, this is my path to becoming a billionaire is learn Magic the yeah. Gathering. And Mount Gox as well. Yeah, it's true. I feel like magic on with the with the cards as like NFTs would actually kill. Like magic, magic online was like not that good. Actually, maybe magic's too nerdy and, and too niche. But I I think it would do. I think it would do. Well. Isn't that what Parallels trying to do? Yeah, it's basically what Parallels doing. That's that's yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, like, Parallels got cards that say up only in it. Didn't yeah. you see? Yeah, we don't want to flood those. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's really small. It's like you gotta like zoom into like the the crotch or yeah, something. Make a big parallel card. <laughs> yeah, just, just turbo only saying up only. <laughs> um, that yeah. Um, anything else from chat? I I think they're all just making fun of either me or Ledger now. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like it's mostly Ledger. That's yeah, good. as is typical. Uh, <laughs> I will confirm. Like Magic is it was 
incredibly nerdy, like very, very nerdy characters and stuff. And I guess it's kind of OG. Like if you read fantasy novels, like the early fantasy novels are like all the, where all the tropes come from, I guess, you know, so maybe it makes sense, but, um, yeah, yeah. There's something that could, I mean, that's sort of the whole loot thing too, right. Which is like, these very, you know, classical, uh, uh, you know, fantasy items and, 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 you know, RPG type, type items. And, and I think they sort of, where a lot of that, that stuff came out. Yeah, I was, I was late for loot, so I bought a blute, and that didn't work out very well. <laughs> uh, those are like crypto. Wasn't blute Beanie Max's thing? And he yeah, said he was going to integrate, like, integrate into everything he does. Yeah, and it turns out he sucked, and that was like the absolute <laughs> eco turbo top of his thing. Um, Tom, so I, one of the things we like to ask that is, uh, you know, for those of us that like want to get to the next level, if you were starting today, let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars starting capital, what would you do with it? Like to to try to level it up, hit a million or something before the end of the cycle? I would uh you know, put it into compound finance and earn a solid, you know, six percent return <laughs> and you know No, I I don't know. I mean I think um one thing I keep coming back to when I think about investments that I've done is just like you know, invest for strength, not for lack of weakness. Like teams that have some sort of magic going for them can figure out some ways to mitigate all the other problems that they're, that they're running into, which is again, sort of what we've been talking about, like weird tokenomic stuff or like, you know, uh, weird growth stuff. It's like, you, you can fix all that if something is, is working. And so when I think about projects that I get excited about or things that, that, you know, investments that have, that have worked out, it's always been like that team did one thing extremely well. And that sort of mitigated or helped them solve all the other problems that they were, that they were facing. So um, that's, I guess, one thing I always sort of, sort of keep coming back to. One thing I've sort of, sort of learned over, over, you know, uh, investing. I like that. One of the other things that I would screw up frequently, still do, is something comes out and I'm like, I'm not buying their hundred X because like, it's got that kind of vibe, you know, like you're like, wow, it's hot. It's got a lot of momentum. I didn't get in access to this early token and listed a hundred X and then it 10 X is again within like two months yeah. or something. Um, so I would, I would be, I would less afraid to buy somebody else's multiple than I, than mm-hmm. I once was. Cause I've seen enough examples where something hits the market and it still does incredibly well. Yeah. No, I felt that where I'm just like, this can't keep going up and then it just keeps going up. And then you look at the <laughs> metrics, but it's like, and the metrics actually look great. And really so it's good. like, it's, it's a value. Yeah, yeah. It's a thousand X yeah. for somebody, but it's a value today. So yeah, you can't downplay the reflexivity in, in crypto where it's like things do well and then just keeps doing well. And it's like way more so than almost any other industry. You just keep see that playing out over and over and over again. It is an interesting change as well, because back in the day, something would go pretty well. And then you'd buy a sort of mimetic uh, or thematically similar thing um, for the like counter bubble. So like Doge went well and then cat related one did well and then black coin did well then white coin went well and there was all the the country coins for a while as well um they're just named after countries instead of food and they like pumped in order or something i don't know um whereas now because there are metrics because they're real products it's not just like a bitcoin fork with a different name um the winner just continues to win harder right and these like sort of mimetic trades don't always do as well um because they're just lacking like the actual fundamentals of people using it or um, like metrics or whatever um, that caused the initial one to appreciate in value. Um, so it is a thing that happens in crypto now that um, I guess people from the older um, era 
did not learn. They learned the opposite. It's like, when it gets 10x, you fucking sell and pick the next one with a similar name. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, that, that's, that, that is very fair. It's, uh, you can't just, you know, copy paste Uniswap and sort of hope for the best. Like there needs to be a little bit more something going on, going on under, under the hood. Yeah, you need a cute logo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ledger, someone said, I feel like you guys never talk about Polkadot-Kusama. What do you think in general about it? That's the one with the founder who did the weird erotic literature. I guess so. Gavin, Gavin Wood? Yeah, did that weird erotic literature about a child, remember? I, I, I missed that part of the <laughs> Tom's lore. Tom's not participating but, uh, in this. Uh, yeah. he, delete, he deleted it from his blog when people said it was weird. Uh <laughs> I just want to talk about it. The reason I don't talk about it is because, as much as I don't know about Cosmos, like take that (laughs) another degree of separation, and that's how little I know about Polkadot. Yeah, Um, I'm 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 personally not super big in 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 Polkadot, and I'm familiar at a high level of how it works. But generally speaking, as a fund, we don't do you know many many Polkadot investments, and it seems like you know I think we're certainly open to things, but traction so far seems to be pretty light so um parties sort of get get excited about the ecosystem but tbd yes i mean i I would say i mean the tech is is legit and everything but you know you it's it's stuff can always start out with like very little traction and then you know you always amazed and at uh again the sort of you know reflexivity of it do you think eth should have a canary network like kasama you know there's actually a, a attempt at doing this and i've I bought some of it, but it did not seem to go anywhere, um, which was, I thought it was really cool. It was called Cheap ETH. Um, it was, yeah, it was, this was a thing like maybe a year ago. It was actually, I don't know if you know George Hotz, GeoHot, um, very famous hacker. He like was the first person to like jailbreak the iPhone and the PS3 and the PS4 and just like, and I was doing this like, <laughs> he's doing what he's doing what tom george george hacked my macbook yeah no i was, I was google hangouts fucks up on my computer something or meet whatever they're calling it now so i enjoy sorry. it i enjoy it it's like this but uh game we got going on. yeah well uh you guys do like a you know insert a commercial break or something um <laughs> that would but, be what uh, we do if we're smart <laughs> and if we're good partners yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically like George Hotz, like super, super legit, basically doing a like mini ETH network. It was, it was like, actually the website is hilarious. It's like cheap ETH.org. And it's like, <laughs> ETH is too fucking expensive. We made ETH hundred X cheaper so you can do like cool ETH stuff. And it's literally just like, there's way more ETH. They're like making more ETH per block. It's just like making it super cheap, but it's still like a pure, pure proof of work network. So it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, is this just <laughs> the, the same thing? Is that the same thing as Ethereum Classic or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, it's, it's an actual up-to-date, like, geth node. Um, so, you know, Ethereum it's not... Classic's it's, not? I well, guess, I I guess so, they, right? the, yeah, they, they did went their own way from a tech perspective. Yeah, they don't have any of, like, the upgrades. This is literally, like, what if we made our own network that's proof of work, um, but it's, like, the full Ethereum client. We could do cool shit with it, but it's, like just cheap and so you can do wacky cool shit on it that you can't do on ethereum which is kind of what polygon sort of sort of you know fill that niche eventually but um yeah i don't know i'd be i'd be curious to see you more of that because i think like even you know even with something like 1559 like it it felt in my mind actually kind of weird that we like launched this big upgrade yeah we did a bunch of simulation and research or whatever but like we sort of like fucking went for it um, and it's like, I would actually love to see that kind of get tested out a little bit more before we commit to a huge upgrade like that in the future. Um, so 
There's a hundred percent. I also think that like testing, having a Canary network where you can test it out um, more actually accelerates the speed it ends up on mainnet because you're able to do things that are a little bit riskier on um, your Kusama equivalent, your Canary network, I guess. Totally. Um, Totally. And, it, I think it would be relatively easy to get people on board with launching a Canary network if you just snapshot um, uh, everyone's ETH holding and you got Canary ETH um, as well. So, like, everyone that holds ETH yeah. instantly holds Canary ETH as well. Um, That's what uh, they did. If you, if you own ETH, you own cheap ETH. Uh, um, so, um, right, I'm going yeah. to get cheap ETH. Kobe's now bullish yeah. cheap ETH. <laughs> It's not, it's not, you know, the price is not very high. It's very cheap, unfortunately. <laughs> There's a 100% Finally, chance. a project did what it said it was going to do. Yeah, yeah. There's a 100% chance because somebody's going to know that I liked it in 2017 that I get a message about Ubik, uh, Ubik uh, sometime after this, for sure, because it's another version of this where, like, they keep up the upgrades, except it's not called Cheap ETH. Uh, cheap ETH is interesting because they're like, hey, we're Cheap ETH. You know, like they don't yes. try to be Yeah, great else. brand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um all right ledger final question the questions in chat have like just gone downhill <laughs> they've gone okay. downhill they're about tyson fury or something yeah no um, i just got questions about like proof of, we don't have to do it we're just gonna uh ask for the <laughs> alpha um nobody cares about proof of work it seems to be like it, nobody within the ethereum ecosystem so we don't have to go that route uh, at the end of every show, we like to ask for a piece of alpha. It doesn't have to be like how to make more money, although it can be if you want to offer financial advice. Um, but it could be like how could they improve their life? How could they become a little smarter, be a little more efficient, do something a little bit better than they have done before? Um, maybe a book you've read, article you've read, piece of wisdom that you live by. What kind of um, advice or alpha could you offer our audience today? We just need you to make us smarter or happier or more fulfilled. Tell us yeah, how yeah. we can get such a beautiful head of hair or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I can get that. Yeah, uh, right, right. I think, uh, okay, this is going to be really dumb, but uh, <laughs> it's going to improve your life. So it's just like cheapy. It's, it sounds dumb, but it's actually great. Um, I would say the, actually the biggest quality of life improvement I made in the past year was like focusing on my sleep. There's like people in the space love to brag about how little they sleep. And like how they're always online and eventually you just like wear yourself in the ground. And there's all these little things you can do to like level up your sleep over time. I always be a terrible sleeper. Um, I always used to like be really tired and drink a shit ton of coffee. And I still drink a shit ton of coffee, but like there's, there's basically like a step-by-step process around like, uh, you know, like blacking out your room and like turning your temperature down and like not having screens and like blocking blue light and like all these things sort of add up and, and it makes like a material difference in my opinion the quality of your life so that's your alpha which is sleep enough and get high quality sleep and everything else in your life will improve substantially so do you use like maybe, a sleep maybe tracker? it's late so I'm, I'm asleep i do use a sleep tracker i have a i have a, I have a whoop um it's, it's pretty good uh, i saw one of them the other day someone was on about them uh, they don't have a screen on them do they they're just like a band yeah which is what i like is i don't want yeah. like the screen bugging me and battery life is good so yeah. you got one of those eight sleep mat- mattresses that calls itself or whatever Yes, I'm actually like <laughs> a super OG eight sleep person because I was I was like I was like this it came out when I was like trying to improve my sleep and so I was like oh perfect like it's a very expensive mattress surely this will improve my sleep and it actually did it's amazing so highly recommend the eight sleep especially if you're like sleep hot it's 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 great. Kobe's so you're actually, like a full trendy sleeper. 
Like you've got all of yeah, sleep it's actually, gadgets. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the UK now. So you, you, sleep tech. <laughs> you have no excuse not to get an eight sleep. Yeah, I'm a sleep tech guy, you know. Are Some you in the, the sleep finance round? <laughs> it doesn't do if nothing. Someone's working, if someone's working on sleep finance, hit me up. I will. I will yeah, the ticker that. is just Z Z Z Z Z Z. Kobe's actually a natural bear. Like he just hibernates in bear markets and doesn't sleep during bull markets. So if we're going like full super cycle, he's just going to like fizzle away into nothing. No, I gave up on that. I did that in um, and through like January to like maybe March, April ish, and then just was like, all right, that's enough. Nice. That's enough. If it was a super cycle, I can't do this forever. I'm going to die. So I gave up on that. <laughs> That's bullish super cycle then, because I think you would have stuck with it if you thought we were close to the end. I was very tired. <laughs> <laughs> See? Get some, get some sleep. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. We'll link up all the, all the Twitters and everything in the show notes. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you. Everybody, go to uponly.tv slash FTX. Make a trade there today. We appreciate them being our partner despite my bad reads of their uh, promotions. You can earn yield on FTX at uponly.tv slash FTX. 5% beyond $10,000, 8% on your first $10,000. Of course, you can track your portfolio like you've known and loved ever since 2014. Uponly.tv slash FTX. Thanks for being here. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Cool. See you guys. Thank you. Bye, everyone.